Podcasting from another dimension, deep within the Ghost Shrimp National Forest, sending you secrets from the future directly into your motherfucking mind. <laughs> ah, what up, y'all? We back! Episode 83 of the Ghost Shrimp and Friends podcast. The much-anticipated return of this podcast after an epic three-year hiatus, almost three years. It was April of whatever that year was, <laughs> right when the pandemic started, um, that we did our final episode, our last episode with Scott C., that epic episode where we were re, re, uh, remembering all our amazing 80s toys. Um Big shout out to everybody who's been listening to the Goshen Burn Friends podcast over the last three years. It's pretty amazing that it's been in rotation and uh, people have still been showing it love. And big shout out to everybody on the Patreon who hung in there. Almost every one of the Patreon supporters stayed on that Patreon even though we've been out of commission for a bit. Uh, basically, once that pandemic hit, you know, at that point, we were still living in the uh, one-room cabin, and the kids were home all the time. So it was really just a logistical thing. I wanted to continue the podcast, but it just was too complicated. It was too hard. Um, there really wasn't the space uh, to do it in. But now, uh, as you can see in the video, we're living in our glorious dream house. The lodge has expanded. We went from the cabin to a lodge from 500 square feet to 1,700 square feet. Um, it's been an epic three years. We've got a lot of catching up to do. Uh, the next episode, episode 84, will be a, a deep dive on the time that has passed uh, since uh, the mighty COVID snapped its fingers and everyone blinked out. Uh, but we're gonna, we're gonna get in there. We're gonna, we're gonna chew it up. We're going to cook up some fucking juicy beef stew like you know how we do it, right? Um, I, it just feels so good to be back. It feels so good to be on the mic. It feels so good to even just do the intro. Um, I'm trying out this new software uh, called Riverside FM. I'm doing like a month-long um, tryout of this uh, product um, which is sort of streamlining the, the process of podcasting. Um, and it will provide video as well. So that's pretty cool. I think the video is going to be Patreon exclusive, uh, for now we'll share clips, um, on social media and stuff, but I think the, the video is going to stay Patreon exclusive. And I think the solo episodes will probably also be Patreon exclusives. I think the guest episodes will be released to everyone and the ghost shrimp deep dive solo rants will be patreon exclusives i'm gonna try to um build up the patreon more um 
uh, we're going to revamp it a bit. So you're going to see the, you know, some of the tiers be adjusted a little bit, maybe adding some tiers, stuff like that. We got to reimagine it a little bit. But, you know, the first foray into the podcast was so much fun. And I feel like the episodes really stand the test of time. Um, and uh, we're, we're just going to dive back in and just make a whole nother batch a whole nother round we bringing it to you every week hopefully you know what i'm saying that's the goal um we'll see i got a lot to catch up on um especially since my dad passed away last summer um i basically haven't worked too much since then uh before while he was dying um and and since then i've really just taken a lot of time off spending time with him and the family and then after he passed, uh, spending time with, with, you know, my wife and kids and, and siblings and mom and all that. They're actually coming up this weekend for a visit, so I can't wait for that. Um, but uh, I got a lot of work to catch up on. I got a lot of stuff to do. i basically been hibernating for the last six, seven plus months. But I'm in a really good spot. Um, I'm feeling hyped again for the first time in a long time. I'm waking up with that pep in my step. You know how we do it, so... I'm very excited to get back and share this with the listeners all over the world, with the homies all over the world. Shout out all the Ghost Scouts out there. Shout out all the workshop alumni out there. We just started round 12 of the Ghost Trip Classic workshop this past week. So that's incredible. This fall, we just finished round two of the Magnum Dopest workshop, which was incredible and just helping me kind of get my hype back and get me back up on my feet and get me back re-engaging with everybody and um yeah in a great spot um working on some incredible work i got some absolutely incredible projects to work on this year already um and we're gonna get into that and uh this is the 20th anniversary of ghost shrimp if you can believe that i graduated from pratt in 2003, um, you know, studying illustration there in Brooklyn, and I started doing professional work while I was in school, and I just continued to right out the gate. Y'all know I was on fire, and nothing was going to stop me from being a professional illustrator. Um, y'all know the, y'all know the stories and we'll hear them again and again. And, and we're going to get so many of the classic homies on the podcast. Um, we're going to get so many new homies on the podcast. I've met so many cool new people in the last three years, uh, particularly in the crypto space, uh, particularly, uh, out there, um, all over the world in that visual art medium you know so much has changed in the last three years i can't get i just really it's hard to even not to talk about it all but this is just the intro for this episode um but we back baby and that's what's important uh so this episode is with the mega homie jesse moynihan uh he's returning to the pod for i think the third time and we got a nice two hour session in talking about uh, Midnight Gospel, um, talking about Jesus 2, his new crypto project, talking about a little bit about Hungy Ghost, uh, his new pilot with Cartoon Network, with the studio formerly known as Cartoon Network. Um, I want to get into all that stuff even more with him. 
Um, we talk a little bit about AI art. We talk a little bit about aliens at the end. Uh, I really want to do a deep dive episode with him on aliens because we're very like-minded and thinking about supernatural phenomenon. We're both totally obsessed uh, students of <laughs> supernatural phenomenons. So uh, lots more of that to come. You know, Jesse is truly one of my one of my favorite people in the world. Um, and uh, this is going to be uh, uh, really fun. Um, I definitely have to get used to getting back on the pod. I felt a little rusty and also getting used to using this new software. Um, if you <laughs> watch me in the video, uh, you, you won't be subjected to this too much if you're on the audio only uh you know releases on the podcast streams but uh i kind of nod like a bobblehead the whole time maniacally um and uh i kind of have a perplexed look on my face through a lot of it probably because i'm kind of staring at the interface for uh the riverside fm podcast software and um i was running it on my old laptop and the streaming was a little laggy on my end so you can hear i step on his audio a little bit i come in um a little too soon because there's a delay on my end so i talk over him a little bit and i was really trying not to do that once i realized that that's what was happening so so i'm uh, i'm kind of playing the back just letting jesse go and then kind of coming in at the end there and uh trying not to step on him too much so it's a little little clumsy a little awkward but i promise we'll 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 uh we'll get better just like in the early days of the of the original podcast where every other word i said was you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying <laughs> and then i was able to get that down to you know and write so we will uh master this format we will bring you high quality content i really want to take the podcast to the next level here um in this uh in this second round second season whatever you want to call it um but uh but we back we back in a big way uh celebrating 20 years of go shrimp and uh last thing is that we are having the first annual ghost fest this year to celebrate 20 years of go shrimp um, i'm going to be inviting 20 of my favorite artists to uh, an all-star weekend camping out in the Ghost Shrimp National Forest uh, for collaborative drawing, UFO watching, cryptid hunting, and cannabinoid consumption. We are going to have a blast. So um, you're going to hear me uh, interviewing some of the people, or not interviewing because these really aren't interviews, but just chopping it up with, with, the, with the old and new friends that are going to be coming to that. We're going to be hyping that up a lot leading up to it it's going to be um uh centered around my birthday in august that mid-august hitter and uh we have so much fun stuff planned this year um we're gonna have another um group camping opportunity in june in the beginning of the summer so we're gonna have a lot of fun festivities up here this year and and we'll catch you up with all the latest news what's going on with the ghost scouts and what's going on with all the homies so sit tight and show some love on the patreon you know it really truly does make a difference the more people support on the patreon the more it allows me to you know focus on the podcast spend time on the podcast and now the you know the the, the video version of the pod and we're going to be bringing back the behind the foreskin 
video series um, or something akin to that. Like I said, um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be evolving it as it goes along, right? I'm not a hundred percent sure exactly what it's gonna look like yet, but we are gonna figure it out as we go along. Go along to get along. And without further ado, let's kick it over to my man A Wall One of the Shape Shifter Crew and get into it. <laughs> Jesse Moynihan, welcome back to the Go Shrimp and Friends podcast, the epic return of the podcast. If I remember correctly, you were on one of the uh, final episodes before we took a break a couple of years ago, and I was right before Midnight Gospel was about to come out. Oh, damn. Well, welcome back to you, man. I hope this becomes a regular thing. <laughs> it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah yeah that was a while ago so how have, uh, how, let's let's talk a little bit about midnight gospel what's uh what's it been like to uh you know what was it like to have that come out and uh, have that be so uh accepted i mean that's one of the things yeah. that i was kind of amazed because i thought it was going to be such a niche show but that show really hit for people yeah i actually remember when working on it the whole time working on it I mean, I know that Penn, Penn and Duncan are both re really well-liked um, creators. And so based on that goodwill, I think I knew that some people would like it. Like all of Duncan's audience would watch it. I don't know how big that audience is exactly. but And I think a lot of people who watched it, liked Adventure Time, would actually probably check in to see. <clears throat> but we were making such a really aggressively – psychedelic and aggressively like uh, I like um, visual noise sort of show um, and the and the audio and the visual stuff were always going to be sort of fighting with each other a little bit so the whole time I was working on this show I was just like I think this is I think Netflix is going to bury this like that's what <laughs> in the back of my mind that's how I felt um, and I was like, well, at least they're paying us to make it. And I was like, oh, make it as cool and, and as aggressive as possible. And, uh, and then to my surprise, um, I was wrong. And, you know, that's the other thing. There were two voices. One was saying, nobody's going to watch this. Netflix is going to bury it. The other part of my mind was Penn knows what he's doing and everything he touches people like for some reason, you know? So I had these two voices, one, yeah, my own self-doubt, and two, um, whenever Penn, for some reason, when Penn likes something and is doing something, uh, people just seem to, like, he's he's dialed, he's got something dialed into what people want to see. Either, like, he's dialed into it himself. He's got that Midas touch. Yeah, he's got that thing. Like, so it can be it, it can be super aggressively strange and 
um, and difficult in some ways, and yet Penn's touch on it creates this accessibility accessibility that people are able to get into. It's something that I've personally struggled with myself in my own personal work, where I just I'm like aggressive, and um, I, I keep using the word aggressive, but um, like almost combative. <laughs> yeah, it was very aggressive. Though. I remember, like, especially <laughs> yeah. watching the first couple episodes, I was like, "Oh yeah. my god!" It's like kind of splitting your brain in two with where the audio is going and right. where the visuals going. And then as the series progresses, you can you can see you guys like meld them together in this amazing yeah. way, and then it becomes this like super powerful, cohesive trip you're taking, and then it ends yeah. with such a bang, and you're just like, "Wow!" Like such, it's such an experience. It almost mimics like a psychedelic hero's journey or something like yeah. in and of itself, which I think is really neat. Well, I think that the guys figured it out a couple episodes, maybe by episode three, the first couple episodes is a little like that brain split. You know, we hadn't figured out how to marry the two, the audio yeah. play and the visuals. Um, and as we went along, we started figuring out more and more, how to merge the two more seamlessly. So you kind of have to stick with it, but people did stick with it, which is amazing. And uh, that became in some ways, like my most recent calling card, like where, you know, people like, Oh, you were, you, you are directed midnight gospel. Like, so then that's like given me a certain sort of like platform uh, to get jobs and, and other kind of things people asking me to do viz dev stuff for them they're like we want midnight gospel and then it turns out they don't want midnight gospel uh so i hear that in the (laughs) (laughs) industry i hear that in the industry a lot like uh people tell me like they'll write me they'll be like hey i'm working on this uh i'm working at this commercial firm and on our mood board is midnight gospel you know and i'm like why didn't they reach out to me what the fuck yeah you know, but that's okay. I probably <laughs> yeah, would have said totally. no. That's so funny. Because I got other shit to do. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but in in a way, it's like I, I take it as a I definitely take it as a compliment. I'm like, okay, people resonate. It felt unique enough that and and far away enough from Adventure Time, visually, um, bec- uh, mm-hmm. so that it could make its own space for itself rather than be totally referring to the design language. There is some crossover, obviously, because Penn and I both worked on Adventure Time. There is some design carryover. Like, you can't help it when you work on a show for whatever. I worked on it for like seven years or whatever. But uh, but so yeah. people, when they look at Midnight Gospel, they're like, oh, that I thought that looked like Adventure Time. I'm like, Did we try, really tried not to make it look like Adventure Time. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, well, Penn draws, like the, Penn, Penn like draws the, the way he draws, and I draw the way I, I draw, I think, and you you, know, you obviously also helped design. Artists. Yeah, and you also helped um, with the viz dev on the main Clancy's main um, hangout area on the on the ribbon. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, Clancy's homestead, and then uh, his neighbor's uh, right, <laughs> his neighbor's, his neighbor's house, house and all that. Fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So there is that DNA, yeah. that Adventure Time DNA in there. Um, but I remember yeah. just being like, let's... Because Adventure Time established, I mean, such an influential design language that people, other productions just kept 
Like they were like, oh, did, did Adventure Time's popular. Blah, blah, blah. We, we're going to rip off Adventure Time, basically. Yeah, that's been going repli- on. It got replicated. It became very ubiquitous. Yeah, and still going to this day, you see people, you know, um, coming out with their art projects and stuff. I'm like, oh, obviously these people loved Adventure Time or whatever. But I just take that. I don't know how you view that kind of thing. People riffing on your style or whatever. I just take it mostly take it as a compliment. Uh, and I'm like, must be I, I did something good that people like enough that it resonates and people want to mimic and stuff like that. It's sort of like how, whatever, like the people who I consider my heroes, I, I'm i riffing on stuff that they, you know, things that I saw in their work that I, 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 I want to adapt to my work. So that's just the long chain of influence, I guess. <clears throat> um but yeah, usually, I, mean, I think like, that's how art works. I think it's meant yeah. to be. Yeah, go ahead. I think there's a little delay oh. on this. Uh, <laughs> on this oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting because, and uh, the other thing that gives me confidence is that hearing people say on other TV shows and stuff, and hearing, you know, I get whispered down the lane from people being like, "Yeah, they were," at, you know, the art director was like being told they wanted it to look like Midnight Gospel, and then. And then, and then when we started doing Midnight Gospel style, they were like, "Hey, this is too crazy. You got to dial it back or whatever." You know. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, "Yeah, you were too weak to fucking do Midnight Gospel style. So get out of here. <laughs> you know, whatever." Uh, yeah. That yeah, that yeah. makes me feel good because I'm like, okay, yeah, I pushed it. I pushed it to a place where most productions would be scared to go. Um, not to sound too. Maybe that sounds egotistical, far, but it makes way far out there, way far out. I think that's one of the most out there cartoons I've ever seen. You know, Midnight Gospel for yeah. sure. Yeah, there was even fights in the you know in on production about how how far we were pushing it and stuff. So, um, and I had to sort of get into some arguments with some people about um things that design language ideas that were like maybe too confrontational or something or too contrarian um to like typical television art direction you know established rules and stuff um in the end though some of those arguments like i learned from and actually like learned the value of some of more conservative ideas about design and stuff uh so that was like a learning process for me also, like learning how to appreciate some old like Disney um, masters, you know, and like how they approach background art design and stuff and color and light and stuff. Because um, I went into Midnight Gospel being like, fuck that shit, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, no, I love that stuff. I mean, looking at the, I love looking at the classic, um, you know, the Seven Dwarves and all that old Disney stuff. Some of that background design is just incredible. Some of it's deceptively simple. Some of it's much more yeah. complicated than you remember. But it, a lot of it is just so solid and 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 really set the standard. It's when I look back at that stuff, I'm amazed at how they set such a high standard that like. You know, I mean, I think there's certainly like Miyazaki stuff and there's certainly some stuff that that meets that. But like most stuff doesn't meet what they did so long ago. And that was like the first major foray into animated features. And it's just like, how did they accomplish that at that time? How did they have the vision to put all that together at that time? It's really just totally insane. And that you watch those movies and they still 
feel just as you know like like if those came out today you'd be like what the fuck is this like it would blow yeah. you away with how uh how much artistry and how in-depth it was and how much care is taken in those movies it's almost like the mystery of the pyramids in a way like how did they how did they <laughs> make build these fucking Are you pyramids? trying to tell me that fucking aliens <clears throat> made those early disney movies dude no i think it's just shape-shifting reptilians <laughs> making those early disney movies well there was some <laughs> equation if you think about if the if there weren't aliens involved which is like you know who knows but and it would just yeah. came down to hard work and like and like having nothing to do except lift rocks and figure mm-hmm. out the best way to lift huge 10 ton stones or whatever. And the same thing, like, yeah, like the dudes that, pounds, the dudes that, um, cut. <laughs> yeah, the people that animated and painted, uh, Peter Pan, you know, it's like, there's never been as far as I know anything as beautifully animated, any feature as beautifully animated as like, um, Cinderella or Peter Pan, you know, I watched, I rewatched Peter Pan not too long yeah. ago, a couple of, like two years ago or something. And the whole time I was just in awe of, of the, um, animation and, and painting and, and, and how much work went into it and how much like lost art there is. Like there's like techniques that when, when Disney tried to revive itself, like with the uh, little mermaid and stuff, if you go back and watch little mermaid, it's not or Aladdin. It looks janky as hell. It, it, it's compared to compared to Peter Pan. It's like totally, different totally. league. <laughs> yeah. So what got lost in yeah. that period of time in the yeah. dark in the dark ages of Disney when Disney was producing subpar work and then when they tried to come back and yeah. um, hit it out of the park again. Not that you know, Little Mermaid's fine, but it's just you can't compare it to um, Pinocchio. Fuck, like Pinocchio. Is, yeah, uh, yeah. No, I agree. World. And yeah, you look at the backgrounds. Yeah, you look at the backgrounds <clears throat> of Little Mermaid, and they're they're very nondescript. A lot of them are very almost like like loose pastelly vibes or something. And like, yeah, it's kind of amazing compared to the worlds that were created. Being a background, you know, be, being that I you know think a lot and focus a lot on background design. Yeah, looking at the worlds of Pinocchio or the worlds of, you know, those earlier movies. And then, yeah, looking at that. I don't like those, those that kind of 90s run. I don't really like... Some of my favorites are really the Wolfgang Reitherman ones, the Sword <laughs> in the Stone and the Robin Hood. I love that Bill Pete, that Bill yeah. Pete style world. I love that, even though that's different than the classics. I loved all that right. stuff. And then, yeah, it kind of started to fall off after that and went through that weird period. and. Yeah, you know, Fox. Shout out to everybody who loves the the '90s. I know Sumbali, our homie Sumbali, like loves that, like uh, the revival of uh, <laughs> the revival of Disney, right? Isn't I mean, those movies are era? they're fun. Aladdin's fun, you know. Little Mermaid's fun. I rewatched mm-hmm. Lion King not too long ago. It's fun. It's 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 entertaining. And I think as a kid, you're it's it does the job. It's it's cool. It's better than Fox and the Hound, you know. Uh, I try. I tried watching yeah, Fox, Fox and the, the Hound. Hound is where those Wolfgang Reitherman ones drop. Off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that there's one some lost drop it. off, they man. Lost it with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, mm-hmm. Sword in the Stone. No, not Sword in the Stone. Uh, Black Cauldron is kind of a stinker. Uh, yeah, the Black Cauldron's another one. Yeah, that's like Don Bluth, and that's that's falling off the cliff. Yeah, it's like the yeah, end of I that mean, run because because like I love. We just watched the Rescuers. The Rescuers is amazing. That's like a oh, okay. super dope one. Still, it's funny. Like. Yeah. Yeah, I watched a real Don Bluth stinker 
not to like Thumbelina. Have you ever seen that one? I don't think that was Disney though. That was uh, when Don Bluth went on his own. Yeah, I can't remember it. Oh man, yeah. that movie stinks. We couldn't make it through it. <laughs> we we tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love Don Bluth, man. Yeah, when you like have kids, honestly, you watch a lot of like Secret of Nim is the yeah. shit. Like that movie is great. Secret. Dude, that's like one my all time one of my all time favorites. That's probably my like all time single favorite animated feature. Yeah, that's a masterpiece. I mean, in my memory, anyway. I haven't seen it in a long time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and that was yeah, it holds that up. was in we, the eighties, right? We rewatch that all the time. Yeah, that was probably like it might have been early eighties. It was. It was either late seventies or early eighties. Um, yeah, yeah, because that's one of the Don Bluth was involved in that, and uh, yeah, that's like pre Black Cauldron and stuff. That's pre like where it started to kind of go off the rails. Yeah. I don't know what Don Bluth had hit his stride there, at. But. Yeah, he hit his like career peak with uh, Secret of Nim and the um, Dragon. What was it? Uh, Dragon Quest. What was the video game he did? Dragon's Lair. Oh yeah, I don't try. Yeah, and space yeah, that's and space right. I was just seeing something about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are my the the Don those. Bluth uh, <laughs> cultural milestones for me. Those are like the touchstones. I mean, yeah, um, is uh, Dragon's Lair, Space Ace, Secret of Nim. Like he really affected my childhood in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know yeah. how we got to talking and about. And how this, did you but... like uh, art directing? <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did you like art directing? How did how did you feel about art directing Midnight Gospel? It was a really um, engaging and wild challenge. Um, I don't know if I want to do it again, uh, art direct again. I mean, I've done directing, so there is mm-hmm. some mild art directing and directing after Midnight Gospel because you are giving feedback to your art director. You're like, eh, I kind of want it more like this. And then they, they handle like passing that information along, you know, and you're not always in charge of mm-hmm. every aspect of, of the art directing as a director, but you, you give a little, it's like a little bit distant, one step removed. Right. But the art directing, what I found, I, I loved the visual fizz dev part of it. Um, where you're just coming up with a world, you're like, maybe, maybe we approach uh, wildlife like this, you know, and we got to figure out a way to explain it to the whole crew. And, and that kind of, we had like plant theory, cloud theory, uh, tree theory, you know, blood theory, like how is blood going to look when people's heads exploded (laughs) and stuff, you know? So all that kind of stuff was really fun. Those first couple months, of just like figuring out the world. Um, and then the other part I really liked was once the crew got involved, once all the background layout people and painters got involved, um, having that developing that relationship with them where they feel trusted. So, and being able to set up that dynamic where I'm like, Hey, I trust you guys to be, um, talented people and you're going to bring ideas to the table also and I wanted to have that sort of dynamic uh, relationship with all the crew and some people really yeah. really expressed their appreciation 
of that and having that sort of bond with them where they bring an idea to that they're like i thought about uh, approaching you know scorched earth like this or whatever you know and i look at it and be like this is cooler than i what i would have done you know so let's just because i didn't come up with it doesn't mean we can't do it you know and if it was better yeah. i had this rule it's like if it's better than what i would have done we're gonna we're gonna do it now that gets to a okay that creates a tricky situation though because then you get to a point halfway through the season where <clears throat> a lot of what the painters were bringing to the table started being incorporated into the look of the show and then i'd be sitting there in dailies weekly dailies looking at stuff and seeing that they were riffing off a thing that the other painter had riffed on blah 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 and then and then some of it at some point was like the origin point was not me anymore right and then I'm like, how do I judge this? How do I sell, tell someone I don't want it to look like this or this isn't the right direction of Midnight Gospel? I started getting in my head about like, what is Midnight Gospel? What is it? Um, mm -hmm. Is it supposed to come from my taste? And if so, when do I say yes? What are the parameters? Where, are the, you know, where do I put the ceiling on how far this can go? And I really had like a pretty deep um, artistic crisis, identity crisis about halfway through that season. And I'm just, uh, didn't yeah. share that with anybody. I was just in my head, fucking freaking out at night. Like just being like, what the fuck? I'm not a good art director. I'm fucking terrible, <laughs> you know? And I just, in order to keep going, uh, cause you can't show that sort of weakness, uh, when you're trying to lead a project, you can't, you're not, you, if you are questioning yourself in front of everybody, they don't then they lose faith in the project it's like sinks the ship right so the whole time i was just pretending like everything yeah was a lot cool. of people's a lot of people's faith is is based in buying into your belief in the project right right you have to like there's a certain level of professionalism i think you have to have if you're managing like 30 people and you kind of have to fake it you have to if you're going through that crisis you kind of have to fake being like everything's cool, you know. So for for a couple yeah. months there, I was just like, Did yeah, you just man. Wear sunglasses every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in a dark day. room with sunglasses. What was, the, what was you? What was you faking it? <laughs> just me being like, cool. Every yeah, this is great. Blah blah blah. Like and you know, ball still rolling. Hey, I need those backgrounds from you. Blah blah blah. You know, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. And in in my in my mind, I'm like dying. I'm like, I feel like I'm losing my mind you know and i'm like i'm a shit artist uh, i'm i'm fa i'm i'm a faker i'm bullshit you know and then imposter it got to a point syndrome. yeah to, i was having really bad imposter syndrome because it was my first time art directing anything and at first i went in super mm -hmm. confident and super like kind of with an agenda halfway through the season i kind of lost my agenda i lost track of it and I had to fake it for a couple months uh, that everything was cool and I still was on my agenda. And eventually what happened was I faked it long enough that I got my confidence back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I realized I realized that even though yeah, it I was like It's almost like a... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go. Oh, I just realized that even... I was even... going to say almost like a disillusion of ego. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Or it's one of those things where you realize that even if you're going through this crisis, 
somehow I made it through and completed episodes while going through that crisis that proved to me that I was actually doing a good job and it was fine. Like, you know, so I just needed to hang in there until the proof I proved it to myself that, that even at my worst mental place, I was still performing and executing well, you know, I just had to hang in there and pretend like everything was fine for a couple months. Uh, you know, I, I yeah. think the only, only person that knew there, you know, there were a couple of the painters who I kind of confessed to. I was like, dude, I'm losing my, you know, I'm going crazy. <laughs> there was a couple who were closer to me that I could admit that to, but um, in general, I tried to keep yeah. it, you know, in my pocket a little bit. Um, but did you and Penn talk about it? Yeah, me actually, Penn and I, I did talk, I didn't talk to him. Yeah, a little bit. Penn, you know, there were, uh, Penn and I would stay up sometimes playing video games and, um, and I would tell him about what I was going through and stuff. And, uh, he was super supportive. Um, but I tried not to let it, I never let it get in the way of me showing up and doing, doing my job, you know? I think that's where it's an industry. This industry is like an industry of really sensitive people, uh, artists. You know, artists are sensitive and inconsistent. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and, and and you know, myself included. And and I think, yeah. but on a production where there's a lot of money on the line and people's dreams on the line, you know, like people like Duncan, who this was his first show, he got to make and stuff. I can't let if I got the privilege to have a job like that, I can't let people down, you know? So it was one of those things where you just got to grind it out and just do it. Even though if you don't feel like you're doing a good job, just keep going. <laughs> uh, and in the end, yeah, it's like, yeah. that's all in your head. That's all fucking, you know, shit. You know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit over, I overanalyze myself a lot and I over criticize myself a lot. So, um, that can happen to me where I'm, I just spiral into a self doubt and stuff. But, um, my, my secret weapon is, um, is, uh, that I can just power kind of power through it. Um, and just, uh, just keep, go into auto mode and just like my body's moving, even though my mind is, um, freaking out. So, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, I think that's a, um, yeah. yeah, I think that's an underestimated. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that's like a. I think that's an underestimated um, facet of being at that level of. You know, that's like the. You know, when we're working at the studios and working on these big shows, it's like it's like being in the NBA. You know, it's like that highest level of. You know, of that that the highest level of the game and and uh the pressure that comes with it and and what that does to your brain you know is like uh you're gonna have to you know you, i think a lot of people are like i want to work at cartoon network and people will be like people that like don't even haven't even like worked to like a freelance job will tell me like i want to have my own show and like you know it's like the not everybody is made to handle the pressure that comes with those sort of situations you know it's super high pressure uh, high pressure and you have to be able to grind. You have to have that whatever grind set or whatever. 
it's not yeah you have to be a, you have to have the dog in you yeah you have to have the dog in you in even into uh outs you know you have to be able to concentrate you have to uh you have to have a long attention span and if you have a short attention span you have mm-hmm. to learn to beat you have to learn to destroy that part of you basically or or else you're you're going to be one of these like inconsistent you might be brilliant artist um but people eventually are going to avoid you professionally because you can't deliver uh it's almost like talent is less important in a way talent might get you in the door get you a first couple jobs but then if you develop a reputation where you can't deliver you're uh your work's going to kind of dry up a little bit. There's a couple of those like unicorn people that are consistently late on delivery and stuff. Um, but they're so talented that people keep hiring them anyway. And you can be one of those people, I guess, but I just think when I'm personally hiring, uh, I'm looking for, I've got a couple, I've got a couple of those people who don't deliver, but they're mega talented. And I still go back to them because uh, I'm like, I need your work. I know you're going to take a long time to do it. Um, and that's okay. You're one of my special people. <laughs> but everybody else, yeah. everybody else, I prioritize, like, can they actually produce work um, at a regular yeah. clip? That's more important in some ways. It's a sad truth. But at a hyper regular clip, right? Because that, yeah. that, that, uh, that animation level production is that hyper clip. Like the, the, yeah. that's the hardest thing about it is how fast those productions move and that everything's waiting for you. So if you are taking your time, you know, you're, you're jamming up the assembly line and uh, people don't like that. No, it jams up. It, it, it becomes a log jam and people down the line, the production line gets super pissed. And then the producers are just watching money go down the drain. So it's not like comics. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's, if you're just a one man team, one person team making comics or making animation on your own, you can take as long as you like, as you like, and nobody's hurt, nobody's feelings get hurt and that's fine. But if you're, yeah, if you're working yeah. on one of these big multi million dollar productions, um, if you're, even if you're just a background painter or a layout artist or a storyboarder or whatever, if you're taking too long, everything gets gunked up and then people get pissed. Um, understandably so, right? It's like whole production yeah. uh, budgets on the line. <clears throat> so there's yeah. there's ways to account for that now, kind of stuff. But now, mm-hmm. yeah. What were you saying? So, yeah, yeah. So, so pivoting. So, um, now you are, I think, I I don't know how many people are tuned into it, but right now you are doing something that's incredibly interesting. You've got a traditional pilot going on with uh, the studio formerly known as Cartoon Network, (laughs) wherever that that is right now, Uh, WB Cartoon Network, you know. Uh, um, you have a, you have a traditional pilot going there, but you also have a, uh, project called Jesus two 
that is a crypto-based project that uh, is super exciting. You're developing these two projects simultaneously. So you have one foot in the old paradigm of animation right. that we're kind of seeing the end of, and you have one foot in the new paradigm, uh, the, the, the possible paradigm of uh, getting your own funding and uh, doing it all through the crypto space, which is super interesting. And, you know, I've been supporting the project and I've been plugged into it and I'm, I'm, I'm just absolutely loving it. So I think it's so interesting. And I, I'm not sure how many people are tuned into the Jesus 2 project, but uh, tell us about this, uh, this sick freak Jesus 2 and, and, and how, um, you know, how, you know, I feel like, wow, Jesse's the perfect guy to do this because, you know, he, he art directed Midnight Gospel. He has that experience in, the, in, 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 he knows the nuts and bolts of the, of the operation. And now he's just going off on his own and, and taking, taking control of it, you know, retaining the intellectual property. And there's so many interesting facets to this. So, you know, let's jump into that a little bit. Yeah. So, Jesus 2 came out of a pitch, actually came out of a, a development cycle I did with Cartoon Network maybe six years ago. It was called Smuggle Brothers at the time, and I developed it as a show for about a year. Um, this was back when Rob Sorcher was the head of Cartoon Network, and this is when Cartoon Network was a powerful cartoon entity. And... Uh, <laughs> after a year of development um it was about two brothers they were like space pirates and they were um looking for their sister who had disappeared um and it and they were um discovering this like ancient lost ancient alien civilization because only humans existed in the universe as far as anyone knew so it was like tied to the disappearance of their sister and all this kind of stuff and this lost alien race and um, it got developed. I mean, <clears throat> it, it, it sort of developed into a thing where I wasn't really happy with it anymore after about a year. Um, but I pitched it. I thought I made a funny storyboard. Um, I think it could have turned into something cool, but, uh, Rob Sorcher gave me the thumbs down. And so then I just shelved it. I shelved, shelved Smuggle Brothers, uh, for the next couple of years. It just sat in some, um, in some, uh, here we go, Smuggle Brothers, uh, in a sketchbook, nice. you know, for the next couple of years. Yeah. And, um, um, but I kept thinking about it. I kept, you know, as I was working on other things, um, storyboarding for people and stuff like that, I kept thinking about it. And I was thinking there was some DNA in there that I really liked. And so when the pandemic hit and we were stuck in our houses, I went back to Smuggle Brothers and I had nothing to do. I wasn't working at the time. So I went back to Smuggle Brothers. I was like, what, what did I like about this? So could I extract that and turn it into something else, turn it into something totally different? Maybe I couldn't get the rights back from Cartoon Network, but I could turn it into something from all that work, years of work I did, uh, turn it into something I could use for myself. And so I did a I did a new storyboard, and just I just did this thing where I just like took my impression of the world and just made something uh, without thinking about story engine or any of the stuff that you do in development. I, I didn't think about like making a pitch deck or anything. I just took the, my memory of the characters 
and what would be cool? What what would I want to see in a short film, in a short like seven minute film? So I just tried to make the funniest, most fucked up version of that world where I don't have to worry about ratings or worry about, you know, um, where, what what market this is for for or anything like that or like what age group this is aimed at. I just made a thing. And I was like, probably no one will see this, but it's a fun thing to do while I'm stuck in my house. And uh, <clears throat> so I made an animat. I built it out completely, added like temp. I did all the voices. I actually got Johnny Pemberton to do a couple of voices for me. And Steve Little from Eastbound and Down, I called him. And I was like, will you record something in your bathroom just for me to uh, use in this clip that probably no, <laughs> no one will see? <laughs> Uh, yeah, because we, we yeah. he worked on Adventure Time, so we've I've stayed kind of friendly with Steve and and Johnny Pemberton over the years, and um, and then I put this thing together, this rough animatic, and I showed it to Penn, and I showed it to Tom Herpick, another uh, OG story uh, storyboarder on Adventure Time. Shout I out Tommy! It... Shout out Tiny Tommy Herpick! Yeah. <laughs> And they, I was like, I wasn't sure what I thought of it. So this turned into Jesus too. So this is like, it was Smuggle Brothers, but then I decided, I changed this whole idea about what Smuggle Brothers was about into this like story about the existential crisis of never dying. And uh, because uh, I myself was like dealing with getting older and my parents getting older and all this stuff. And it was like really freaking me out. So I was like, I'll make a story about that. And so I shared, I shared the animatic with Penn and Tom just like, oh, I made this, like, I'm sitting, I'm trapped in my house. I made this thing. What do you think? And Penn was, Penn, paraf- uh, what do you call it? Paraphrasing? Is that the word? Uh, he was yeah, like, yeah. he was like, I think this is the best thing you've made, you've ever made. And Tom also wow. said something. Tom also said something like that. He was like, this is great. Like, you should pitch this around. And uh, I was like, okay, so <clears throat> I uh, that gave me confidence. So I showed it to some people. I showed it to some other people. I showed it to, um, I think I showed it to HBO, and I showed it to um, um, Sony, I think, uh, and I showed it to, um, I think I shared it with actually. Uh, Science Sorrow, the animation company. I talked to them a little bit. Uh, I mean, the anime anime house, the Masaki Iwasa's company. And nobody kind of gave me the same response that Tom and Penn gave me. Like, they all were just like, this is crazy. And that was it, you know? And uh, <laughs> so I was like, okay, this thing accurate. has no... That's accurate. <laughs> yeah. This thing has no... Like I can't pit this. I can't pitch this anywhere. Maybe I could pitch it to Adult Swim, but Adult Swim has their own sort of her- hermetic uh, rules for development. I talked to Adult Swim a little bit too, actually, and they they told me they like to develop things from the ground up. They don't like people coming to them with their pre-made mm. ideas. So I was like, okay, oh, if I if I if I wanted to make something with Adult Swim, it would be more like, hey, let's make something together, kind of thing. You know, rather than me saying, I, I've been working on this thing for five years. So Adult Swim was the only other place I thought that would maybe be interested. This thing was like development kryptonite, basically. So 
I was like, the only way I'm going to be able to make Jesus too <laughs> is if I make it myself. And um, on top of that, I also have this story of when, when Jesus too was still smuggle brothers. Um, I had right after midnight gospel wrapped and I was sort of in the good graces of Netflix. I went and had a Netflix meeting. I pitched smuggle brothers to them. Um, but um, I had been in a weird, I had been watching lots of David Lynch videos and, and, and uh, famous, famously David Lynch never explains any of his ideas to people. So in interviews, when someone's like, yeah. what was, what was the homeless uh, monster behind the dumpster all about? And he goes, I don't want to talk about it, you know, or whatever. So I'd been watching, <laughs> I, I had been watching lots of those videos. So when I went into the Netflix office, I was feeling really confident about following my artistic vision and not polluting it with like commercial um, considerations, you know? And um, so they asked me who, what are these characters about? And I said, uh, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you know, I was like, you just gotta, <laughs> you gotta... like, oh, that's what this meeting's about. But uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, this is the world. This is the, You're like, these take are the... it or leave it. Sight yeah. unseen. <laughs> yes. That's, I basically went into that meeting being like, take it or leave it. I want you guys to believe in me and let me make a, make this thing. Now that's a totally unreasonable expectation, but that was the mindset I was in at the time. <laughs> I, you yeah. know, I just wanted to make the thing exactly the way I wanted. And I didn't want development executives to fuck it up for me again, where, you know, so not nothing against them, but I, I was in this headspace where I wanted to make the exactly the thing I wanted to make. So with Jesus too, ended up being that it's my protected thing where I, I'm making it exactly the way I want to make it. Whereas the other thing I'm making uh, hungry ghost for cartoon network, um, whatever state cartoon network is in, it'll be the, it'll be a development cycle where there's lots of feedback from the executives and it'll become a thing of uh, um, that tension between the creator and executive. It'll become evolve out of that which sometimes can create really cool stuff too it's not always a bad yeah thing but i wanted that i was like okay hungry ghost goes to them whatever happens with hungry ghost i'm fine with however long that takes or if it disappears into the ether and never exists that i'm also okay with i have a zen uh position about hungry ghost um Jesus too is my thing completely. And um, whether it succeeds or fails is uh, I would say mostly 90% up to me. Um, and whether or not I can raise money to make it, that's the only consideration. Can I raise the funding? But I had been watching, um, I had been, wa I had been following some friends of mine uh, careers over the past couple of years while I'm like deep in that development purgatory where nothing you make stuff and nothing happens over and over again you pitch stuff for a year straight no one picks it up blah 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 meanwhile my buddy Dashaw made two feature length films two feature length animated films uh, Crypto Zoo 
and my high school sinking. Um, and um, I was like, damn, he... While I'm, like, begging for, uh, like, uh, a way in the door, a green light from all these large streaming services, my uh, Dash Shaw is just making feature films and and showing them at Sundance and stuff like that. And I'm like, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Uh, I think actually I should be doing that. I should be not, not begging at the steps of Netflix. I should be just going off on my own and making something. Um, And so that's, that's a one way to do that is what I'm doing, which is a web three fundraising through NFTs and, and, all that business, uh, uh, which is a full-time job and it's a insane world. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. I mean, you're basically bonkers. starting up your own animation studio, right? Like you've, yeah. you've, you've, you've actually made an, an animation studio, right? Like a, a business. It's coming together. It's sort of like seven samurai. It's like, I'm finding the people, I'm finding the people that yeah. are, <laughs> totally. you know, I'm like, Oh, can you produce? Yeah. Okay. You're on the team, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. can you, you know, so I've, I have, I found a line producer and I found a, I mean, an executive producer and a producer who are helping me on the project and stuff. And, um, and a couple background painters who were super amped on the project. And, uh, I found an animation studio that's like helping me figure out, um, how to do this on, on the budget that I need it to be. So, <laughs> yeah it's like assembling a team your like ultimate um team it hasn't like i haven't like uh the voltron is still forming but yeah it's 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 yeah it's, you're missing like a leg and an arm still you're like yeah 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 <laughs> and i'm not sure who's going to be there in the long <laughs> on the long haul like in the long long run or whatever yeah. but i'm trying to find those people who are like excited about this idea of establishing a company and uh and doing things making projects you know that we believe in that we we we're like this is awesome and um we want to make this and 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 sort of shooting for the feature film uh thing rather than making a pilot and pitching it to uh whatever hulu amazon apple just like Let's make feature films. I think that's that's my that's my plan anyway. So Yeah, and and were you into crypto before that? Like what was the at one point did you realize the crypto the crypto space was going to be an avenue for this project and and uh, and connecting with that? So I was a little bit I had some crypto. I had some Chainlink and some ETH and stuff, but I didn't um I didn't really know that much. I had a couple buddies who showed me how to set up a wallet and stuff. And I had a, maybe a couple hundred bucks here and there in chain link or whatever. Uh, but I wasn't super, I was super passive about it and I was not interested in NFTs at all. And people had come up to me for, for about a year, two years, uh, pitching me the idea of doing an NFT project. But I just was like, I'm not just going to do NFTs for the sake of doing NFTs. I, there's no, I have my process. I have things that I do. Everything's based around 
how natural it is for me to sit down and draw and work on an idea. If it's a forced idea where I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, I got to draw apes now, you know, or whatever. I'm not going to do that. Like, fuck that shit. You know? <laughs> Cause then I'd be really selling, that'd be like really selling out. And I, and I can't, I have to. You mean like you mean like looking at the crypto market and like going after like a trend like. You're yeah, like yeah, all that kind of like that doesn't jive with and stuff like what's popping. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't jive with my the way I work, right? But mm-hmm. my manager was, you know, uh, talking to me. I was talking to him about Jesus too and stuff, and he, I was like, I don't think anyone's going to want to make this. I have to figure out a way to make it myself. And he knew his buddy who was also a manager, knew some um, NFT minting people, uh, this company called Endmaker. And he was like, I can put you in touch with those guys and you could ma- build um, Jesus 2 from the ground up as if you were building a pitch deck and a pitch Bible and stuff like that, um, but go in this direction with it and create those as assets, you know, collectible assets. Um, in order to fund the project. So it would all be building. You wouldn't be making separate ideas to fund this other thing. It'd all be one idea funneling into this main goal of making a film. <clears throat> so I was like, okay, yeah. that's what I would be doing anyway if I was, if I was pitching to a network, except I'm, I'm making um, a digital collectible, I, uh, uh, what do you call it, objects or whatever, digital objects. That people can collect and hold and be part of digital assets. Digital assets. There you go. Uh, that they digital can digital assets. Yeah. They can use to be part of building a company, basically building the animation house, uh, and the and building the actual animation. Uh, so I was like, okay, this seems like a way more direct version of Kickstarter or um, Patreon mm-hmm. or something like that, and way more engaged. So I'm like. I'm like interacting with people all day long on this thing and like hanging out. It's like, it's a total culture immersion thing. Um, but I like that because it's, it's different. It's different than um, Kickstarter in that Kickstarter. You have all these words like t-shirts and uh, tote bags and blah, blah, blah. And then just give me money and like trust that I'm going to do this thing. Um, whereas, um, uh, if you're running a very uh, straightforward NFT project, uh, there's way, way more accountability and like way more uh, interaction with the collectors. Um, and they benefit from it way more than supporting a Kickstarter. The only other thing I've seen that comes close to it is a WeFunder. Um, have you checked that out? We've, do you know WeFunder? I haven't heard of that. It's a platform where if you if you contributed to your contribute you basically are a shareholder in the company or whatever. So comp- some people gotcha. have started. Yeah, so same idea. Yeah, but I think the legal ramifications of WeFunder are like really odd, and uh, and uh, I mm. think I th- I think I don't know. I I've I've heard some weird things about WeFunder and like needing to hire really expensive lawyers to figure out. Uh, what you're actually doing and what they're what the people who support your project are entitled to as far as being like board members of your you know if you have an LLC or something like that 
but uh yeah it's a you know i think it's a way more dynamic scene and it keeps changing like for example the nft scene and the crypto scene is way 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 more cutting edge and and way more like potential in the future for um um turning into uh well it keeps iterating on itself so for example ETH, I didn't want to get involved with ETH at first because when I started, ETH was proof of work. Uh, and there was a whole thing about right. the environment and all that kind of stuff, like burning energy and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's why I started with Cardano because Cardano was proof of stake and um, way, way less impactful in the environment. But within the time that I've been working in Cardano, ETH switched to proof of stake. Um, and now is uh you know using up like what less 99.9 percent less energy than it used to and all that kind of stuff so the world of crypto and the world of yeah the nft world is is keeps changing a lot and um people keep innovating in it because it's such a young the the applications people are 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 developing for that technology it's it, it the it, the face of it like replaces itself every like three months. It's just like different now. Yeah, I different. mean almost every week. If you're out for a couple yeah. of weeks and then you tune back into like NFT Twitter and stuff, you're like, holy <laughs> shit! Like you know they're always talking about the current meta, like the current yeah. you know paradigm or however you want to say it, the the current trend of what's going on, whether it's open editions or you know one of ones or art or you know profile pics or whatever. It's like it literally from day to day it can really pivot where it's insane and you see like millions of dollars changing like yeah, the, um, yeah that like the dy- the how dynamic it is really makes it exciting and interesting and and then also full of like scams and like you yeah. know and what they call rugs where people are pumping out these projects and then with no just with no intention on following through with them and it's like yeah it's a it's such a it's to me, it's it's to me it's the it's the most exciting thing I've ever seen happen to, like the art world since I started being an artist. Like you know, good and bad, but just like yeah. it's like it's a total explosion of possibility. I think that people should understand that, like anyone involved or anyone that's being honest and is involved in the scene understands the good and the bad. There's like true scumbags mm-hmm. involved. And that's just a fact. Oh, and, yeah. uh, <clears throat> yeah. but at the same time, there's like people out there really trying to bring like legitimacy to it. So if you get involved, it's, you have to be, have your guard up. It's, it's like walking into, uh, that cantina at fucking in star Wars, like, you know, or whatever the, in the yeah. first star, like there's like, Han yeah, Solo. all of a sudden it's like, you're your grandma on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the 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 level at which people are trying to scam uh people and 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 the lawlessness and you know FTX all that shit fucking you know the Sam Bankman-Fried yeah. and all that stuff is like and Lo- Logan Paul and all those yeah. guys are true scumbags. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And well now and, we're starting to see lawsuits, right? Class action lawsuits against these fraudulent uh like against Logan Paul and definitely against FTX and you know he's going to get more than lawsuits and yeah, yeah, we're starting to see like the ramifications and the repercussions of this, which is super interesting. Yeah, so it's a dark, it is a dark world, but it's also the first time 
it's the first time that I think, um, especially digital people who work digitally, digital artists, um, have actually been able to value themselves. Um, there's, there's this weird sort of like self-loathing, um, aspect to having been a digital artist over the past decade, um, and posting your work on Tumblr and generating revenue for, uh, platforms like Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, Pinterest, all these, uh, platforms that are just like, Hey, feed us, feed, feed the machine. Like get your algorithm up. Like you got to post every day. This is all just going into the pocket of people like Mark Zuckerberg and stuff like that. And you don't benefit all you, the only benefit you get from it is like a some sort of abstract idea of clout. Uh, and if you're a purely digital artist, um, um, it's it's this weird sort of like Stockholm syndrome. Like you need to be there. You need to be posting every day. There's no tangible, actual like value to what you're doing. And then people are like, hey, I can right click and save on your uh, NFT. Fuck you, you know? And that's a digital artist saying that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, dude, do you hate yourself that much? Yeah. Like, you know, not to, I don't want to like, Obviously, there's like plus and minus side. Like there is like light and dark sides to this whole thing, and I and I think it is a morally ambiguous world, and 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 that I think that, um, yeah, like I said, there's I mean people trying to take advantage of people and stuff like that. It's like a a weird, it is a weird, wild west. Um, but at the same time, I think yeah. that I think it's a everything microcosm is, of like kind of any space. Yeah. Yeah. And, but at the same time, like every day I get just some, you know, I get phone calls of like someone being like, Hey, Alyssa, are you there? I need a, I need a $200. Like I'm, I'm, you know, whatever. Some phone scams like all day long, <laughs> like in the real yeah. world, there's like, yeah. like scamming. I mean, when I, when I created an LLC for, for this project, I probably got a hundred things in the mail saying I needed to pay $200 to like to legitimize my business blah, blah, blah. it's all scams it's all like so those phishing scams yeah. and mail scams and stuff like that and bank fraud and all that kind of stuff that exists in the real world bank of america wells fargo all these everywhere people are, where there's money there's that activity right they're like mega yeah, criminals blackrock everywhere where there's opportunity yeah. <laughs> yeah so it really is up to you about like what how you want to operate <clears throat> like uh as a as a as a person like are you uh are you trying to be as straightforward and and as as possible like um yeah so i i, I it's the medium the medium i don't think is uh the problem it's it's people um and uh yeah yeah that's sort of my take on on that at least not right now i don't know that's how i feel about it um and I think yeah. that yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense that yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense that you know we've seen digital art come into its own. It's everywhere, you know. It's in all the movies we watch. It's it's totally ubiquitous. Yet up till this point, there hasn't been a place where your your digital art could actually make you money directly, right? It could it could get you a job, but it wouldn't necessarily be an asset unto itself and with the with the birth of nfts with the birth of a digital asset marketplace or a digital art marketplace 
yeah to me it makes perfect sense it's that coming to its own getting respect and people realizing that you know it's 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 kind of a really neat concept i mean i know people joke around about you know and and like to slam nfts they can just screenshot it like you said but the idea that you know of of digital ownership and digital assets we live in such we live in a culture where everything we do is digital yet we're still tied to this idea that physical is worth more than digital even though like our entire video, uh, our entire uh, video, our entire movie watching experiences are purely digital. Our music listening experiences are purely digital now. We yeah. we have very little. I mean, most people have very little physical interaction with any of that stuff. But it's incredibly important. It's incredibly real, and it's incredibly impactful. So, you know, yeah, I think, and think it, about it clicked with me, and I was like, wow, this is yeah. And think about the 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 despair that especially musicians have been in over the past um, decade plus of, of, of uh, streaming of, of platforms like Spotify, just gouging artists. Like, I mean, I don't use Spotify for that reason. I just like, I buy, if I like a musician, I'll buy their music off Bandcamp, you know, um, directly because I don't want yeah. to like, to me, um, the, uh, the musicians are probably hit the hardest the most and 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 this idea of like this expectation that anything digital should be free anything that's like on the web should be free music should be free um i just pay eight bucks a month or whatever for a spotify account and i can listen to any album um it's a it's a, it's yeah. cool it's a cool technology it's cool that there's that library of like amazing huge library of music you could listen to but at the same time those musicians are like uh i got paid uh three dollars this month you know <laughs> for for yeah. an album i yeah. probably spent ten thousand dollars in a studio to make you know at at the least um it's it's wild what musicians are uh all they can do now is uh relentlessly tour and uh they're not making money off their albums it's, you know unless you're in the top two percent or something of um you know you talk to any indie musician and they're just like uh yeah i work at trader joe's you know um it's uh yeah it's a it's a weird world like then and, and that expectation um um that uh any digital asset should be free you got to think about the creator behind it and like the living they're trying to make um it's uh yeah, and 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 also this idea that not to get too much into this, but this idea that crypto is dead and all this kind of stuff, I really think is uh, uh, um, not true. Um, it's uh, if you look not at any at of all. the big, it's just yeah, getting started. <laughs> it's just if you look at any of the all the big, big businesses are pile, they're tripping over themselves to get in yeah, there. So like, they're doubling. They're doubling down. It's dead yet. All the biggest companies in the world, they're all getting into it. You're like, yeah. Mm. I mean, if those, if the people running, if the banks, all the big banks are getting into it, all the big investment firms are getting into it. Uh, Instagram is is starting their own NFT uh, um, uh, uh, aspect to the platform. Same with Reddit has already done it. Um, they're just calling them digital collectibles, mm-hmm. and this is and this is other things like at yeah. some point, at some point, NFTs won't be jpegs anymore like i think that that part i think that that part is just the first iteration it's the first way that people found a use case for it uh but the yeah. nf nfts as a technology 
just will become uh, at some point, I think will become um, a multi-use uh, technology that will be essentially invisible. You won't need to, you won't even need to understand crypto to be using it, to be using NFTs. Um, we're, we're coming towards that. It'll just be some like right, right. backend technology stuff um, in order to get your World of Warcraft uh, um, armor that you want or whatever, you know. Uh, yeah, 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 totally. I mean, that's, you know, everybody's familiar with them in that use case of getting skins. Like my son just got, he's like, I want this Deadpool skin in Fortnite, right? Like that's an yeah. NFT. And, but yeah. yeah, it's just the idea that, you know, where it, 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 the idea of digital ownership is already huge. And like, like right, the data is the biggest commodity in, in human commerce now. And the corporations know that digital ownership and and data and all that is the most uh it, you know they they know the value of it but you know still you know the 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 common person doesn't think about it in those terms so in a way it's very deceptive in in the way that the mainstream narratives about it uh i think have been put out there and i think that that is the amazing thing it's like an artist could now put out an album uh of a limited release and then the people who buy that now that has value and that can be transacted. They can sell it and then the artist can get royalties on that. It provides it provides much more ownership, much more royalties. Uh, you know, the, the possibilities of of rather than just where you get the one transaction out of this digital creation and then it's just gone and ubiquitous and means nothing. You know, yeah. now it's actually giving value to each digital asset and it's up to the it's up to the creator how they want to distribute that, right? Whether it's going to be a one of one or whether it's going to be a one of a hundred or, or, or however it is. So, you know, with yours, it's like, you've got your, it'd be fun to talk a little bit about that, how you've got your, you know, your initial drop of all your assets. And then you also have, you know, uh, you know, you have your JPEGs and then you've also got, you know, your, your animated assets that you're dropping, you know, the people are getting, um, yeah. you know, rewards for, you know, collecting the assets and, you know, it, it's, it's much more interactive. It's much more reward based. You can turn around and sell the stuff you've bought, right. In a yeah. way that, you know, in, in, in a way that is so easy and fluid and can be incredibly momentary too. Like, like you could have an asset, you know, that suddenly is worth that you paid nothing for or, or $50. And now it could be worth multiple thousands of dollars that day. And you could sell yeah. it that day tomorrow. It might not be worth that. It's like, it's, a, yeah. it's, it's very interesting. It's, it's way more dynamic. It creates much more possibilities for creators. Yeah. And I think my project in particular, uh, our audience is there are some people who are like doing the like flipping for profit and all that kind of stuff, but it's mostly people collecting it because they, I mean, if you look at the people who bought it, uh, bought the NFTs, most of them are just keeping them. Uh, I would say a high majority of mm -hmm. them are just like keeping them for their own personal enjoyment because they want to collect the art. It's like yeah. a much lower yeah. percentage of people who are actually like spec using them as like speculation kind of thing, like art speculation aspect of it. Of, of course that's inherent to the scene. Yeah. And, but I think it gives me a lot of uh, a certain amount of pride just being like, Oh, people just like the art and they want to have it. Um, and any NFTs I've personally collected yeah. is just because either I liked, the, I met the person in the space and I liked them as a person and I collected their art just to support them. Mm -hmm. 
or um, or I actually genuinely liked their drawings, and I was like, yeah, I want to have this. So I myself have turned into a collector, um, not like a heavy collector, yeah. but I've collected a few things in the space where I'm like, this person's a cool, like a genuinely cool person, and I want I, even if I'm not like that into their drawings, I'll still buy one just because I like them, or. Um, or I've been like, this person is like valuable in the scene and they're like actually really, um, talented and, uh, I want to support the project because of the level of talent, you know, and, and I'm not interested in me personally. I'm not interested in the flipping, all that kind of stuff, unless, you know, one of them like mm -hmm. fucking goes fucking nuts and <laughs> like turns yeah. into a, a board ape, uh, yacht club scenario or whatever. Of course, then I'd be like, okay, yeah, I'm selling yeah. this NFT. But for the most part, I'm involved yeah. in collecting just because I like what what someone's doing, and I've I've bought into the idea of digital art having value. I believe in that personally, and I think it's a moral thing that um, is really like important. Um, and it's the first time, yeah, like I said, it's the first time that digital art has anyone's expressed value about digital art. And I think most people in the world now, no one's drawing on paper. Almost nobody. I would say like. What three percent of, yeah. of 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 the of people in the U.S. are drawing on paper if they're an artist? Uh, most people now, Generation Z yeah. people, have only ever drawn on an iPad. You know, so yeah. what the fuck? Like, you're not gonna be putting your stuff up in a gallery, okay? Putting like, you know, I I as a person who recently had a gallery show. And I love the guy running the space. It's awesome. He sells my tarot cards for me and stuff. Um, when you sell your art at a gallery space, you're paying like 30% if you're buddies with the uh, gallery space to the gallery of whatever you sell your painting for. Most galleries, 50% or 60%, right? And yeah. you're paying for the frames. That's a huge... And then if you're not a major big artist, then you're making like on a $700 painting, you're probably making, I don't know, 200 bucks on a painting you probably spent yeah. a month on. That's nuts, you know? So, uh, yeah. anyone like anyone being anyone I know, I mean, Rob, my neighbor, Rob is a, has been a gallery artist most of his life. And the, that struggle is real. You know, and oh, we're talking uh, about Rob Sato. Shout out Rob, Rob Sato, Sato, the homie, the homie Rob Sato. Yeah, you, know, you have to you have to have your you have to be Legendary. hustling so hard, and you're just battling against this endless race of catching up to being able to pay your rent because some yeah. some painting you probably spent months on some giant installation painting, uh, half half of it goes out the window and not to mention even like freelance tax the stuff you have to pay taxes on so tax gallery framing uh and the time spent uh uh um for for um making a living as a a, a gallery artist you know uh is is totally crazy and then if someone resells your your painting there's no royalties on that you know so it's a one-off, yeah. it's a one-off experience. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's one and transaction people say, and it's gone. Yeah, not to mention like 
when I first got obviously when I first got involved in this, I got some heat uh, from some from some people, and one of the criticisms I saw was um, you're replicating the fine art world, um, uh, like exploitative uh, something like um, what do you call it? Uh, this idea of like. Uh, money laundering so like rich people investing in art in order to like write write it off on taxes and stuff like that and that as being like this major criticism of like the nft you know because the fine art world has like totally um adopt like embraced nfts like the new york fine art world is all in on nfts so they were like you're replicating Mm -hmm. um the fine art world's like capitalistic uh dynamic and i'm like when was the last time I read anyone criticizing the fine art world on this, on this, like in popular, in the popular zeitgeist, I've never heard anyone be like, man, yeah. uh, you know, Oh, if you're, if you're, uh, if your art is at the Guggenheim, you're a piece of shit or something like that. Like, you yeah, know, you sell out. <laughs> yeah. You sell out. You were yeah. in the, well, I think it's know. also just where we are. I, yeah. I think it's also just where we are as a culture too. Like you said, I mean, in my mind, I think about if I was a, if I was starting my career and I'm a young creator and I can sit there on my iPad with my procreate and I can do a cool drawing and then I can put it up on OpenSea and I can start, you know, building relationships with collectors and selling my stuff. You know, there's literally, uh, you know, a lot of the people in the space are, like this is their first foray into an art career and and some of them are young people and some of them are totally killing it and it's like that did not exist before you know when we came out just having um you know myspace and facebook and stuff was like this incredible tool that we could use to network and share our work and get it out there rather than having someone stumble across your website now there was a hub where you could kind of grab people's attention and direct them back to you and uh, yeah, now the ease with which people can create art technologically and then connect with their fans and sell directly to their fans, I think that's incredible. I think that's only a plus. I think that outweighs any of the negatives in the space. And I think you're going to see so many more young people being successful as artists, finding success, finding success as artists. Because, you know, we were coming out, it's like a mystery. Like, how do you get work? How do you sell work? How do you do yeah. jobs? And like, and a lot of people that are artistic are very introverted. They're very shy. They're not that, they're not that type of person. It's kind of weird to be like super entrepreneurial and an artist. Like that's kind of like a, you know, that's, that's the, that's the uh, exception to the rule rather than the, the, the rule. So, yeah. you know, I think that it's, if you're looking at the, uh, if you're looking at the future of art, I think this makes the future of art much brighter. I think that this translates into more people um, feeling like they can seeing a path into that world. Yeah. And when people 10 years ago, when people used to ask me, how did I get involved in animation? How did I get a job at Cartoon Network? my explanation was not good. You know, I even wrote an essay about it to, <laughs> to give to people if, who would write me emails being like, how do I get a job as a storyboard artist or whatever? And I wrote this like pre-made response so I could give that to anybody, but it was like abstract. Yeah. There, there, so the, the path, the path yeah. to that life, even if you go to a place like CalArts is not guaranteed. It's, it's, uh, um, uh, it it really is a lot about putting the the power 
the power of that path is, is in a lot of ways in someone else's hands to decide whether or not you're valuable enough to bring on to there are things you can do to set yourself up for success when the time comes they call it like you know hard work timing or you have to be ready when the time comes you know that kind of thing but even even then it it and and compared to even when i was a kid this idea of working at disney or something like that was absolutely an impossible dream you know uh there was no career path for that there's these things have become clearer and clearer uh and now yeah now the disillusionment with those companies now has you know um of of grinding out for for someone above you to rake in all the profits uh uh while you're like at this sort of like in this permanent renter class in LA basically like uh grinding it out on shows as a storyboard artist or whatever um and and meanwhile the executives are pulling in like you know six figures and uh you're trying to survive in the with the cost of living in LA and all this kind of stuff i mean i it it it's cool and like i don't it it's fine and it's a rewarding it's a rewarding industry but you ha- it's a super hardcore grindy industry for there's a ceiling to it and 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 then at some point you're old and that's it you know like all all these all these <laughs> yeah, calarts yeah. kids and like SVA kids have just replaced you so uh yeah you know it it's uh, it, it's cool uh but i think exactly what you're saying like getting tools that put more power in your hand to be independent i think whether or not whether or not even anything i'm saying right now for the past what, 40 minutes or whatever is even true whether or not <laughs> it, it ends up being like yeah. i fucked up i fucking got involved in this thing it was a bad idea like in five years, if I ever said that, I'm 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 trying to like take a risk, and I'm trying to yeah. be like, hey, the future. Like I have to look to the future because right now the past is collapsing. All these networks are collapsing, um, or yeah. they're eating each other up, and they're like the like hegemony is like creating this like massive tower. And if I'm gonna be like, hey guys, like please, like begging to this like tower, you know. Uh, uh, that keeps getting higher and higher and more unstable and more centralized or whatever, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. That is like mental illness to me. Like for me to just sit there and be like, yeah, guys, keep buying each other up and I'm just going to keep begging for work from you guys. Like, you know, uh, and not try to do anything to, to establish my own uh, uh, um independence uh and so that i know i have i can actually just rely on myself uh creatively and financially um why would i keep putting all my eggs in this other basket i mean i you know yeah like i said i could be wrong could be i could be totally wrong um but uh it's worth a shot it's worth trying um and i think uh yeah, well, I think it's more likely that people will look back on the <clears throat> old paradigm of the studios and say, like, man, that was so unethical that, like, all these creators gave their unique abilities to this and, you know, they were compensated for it, but they didn't have any ownership stake in it. And I think this has the opportunity to 
help people understand what intellectual property is, what intellectual property is worth. And if, and if through the, through the Kickstarters, through the Patreons, and now this new iteration of the, of the crypto space and the digital asset marketplace, if, if creators can create and, and retain their IPs and, and, you know, get funding directly from their fans and you cut out that middleman, um, I think you're going to really see a whole shift where now creators have the IP and the studios have nothing and then they have to really come to you and give you what you're worth. And that would, that, that would be the first time that that's ever really happened outside of being someone who's, you know, the top performing person in their field, you know, not many people can get like that. And, and if you yeah. see, I think that's happening culturally too. Like, like right now in sports, in the NBA, it's like the player empowerment era. It's like players will sign a, a six year contract, but then like they get unhappy and a month later they demand a trade and everybody's like, fuck, well, they're the talent. What are we going to do? You know, it's like, there's something yeah. changing in the atmosphere. And I think it, I think we are going to look back and go like, wow, that was so archaic that we all just like gave our intellectual property away like you know to these giant corporations and you know got nothing long term in return unless you're like smart enough to like like we are like building your whole brand and like you know you know you know we're 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 leveraging the the opportunities that we had and the accomplishments that we made into our next um you know opportunities but hell it'd be great if we all got residuals and royalties off of adventure time and like that was easier for us right it's like yeah i love the 10 gets that of course but you know it's like you know th there could be much more sharing of that pie you know and that's happening everywhere they're talking about it in ufc and about nba and, and all that stuff and and uh and 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 now the 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 next uh, the next wrench in this whole scheme is AI art. So <laughs> when, we, when we mix AI art into this, what do you think that that? What do you think with the pendulum swinging back and forth? Where does AI art? Okay, this is the natural extension mind? of our conver of our conversation. This is the next AI art. Really frightened me when it first came out. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. When I first started seeing Dali stuff and mid-journey stuff, I was like, oh, dude, this is a war now. Like, uh, and then what? I, okay. <clears throat> we don't know. We don't. We really don't know. Uh, but so you can speculate all you want about what's going to happen, but I don't think we really know. All I know is what I do know is it's not going away. And, um, and, and I have my own personal philosophy about it. Me per se, me personally, being a guy who has worked on art, worked on getting better as an artist since I was five years old, since I, since my parents were put a crayon in front of me and studying people I admired and trying to get better, trying to hone my craft, um, and hone my ideas and my inspirations. Um, that is my value in life. That like w that struggle is my value. Me having to work hard to make something is what gives my life meaning. Uh, I would say like, uh, I don't have kids. I'm not married. I mean, I'm in a relationship, but, and I have a brother and parents and stuff like that. So those people give me meaning, but in deep in my soul is like, what am I doing on this earth is to be an artist and to work hard as 
at getting better as an artist because it's not if unless you're like unless you're a uh, unless you're a uh what do you call it a prodigy or something you never had to work hard in your life uh you it's it's all about putting in the hours and criticizing yourself and 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 making small improvements over the years so that you look back to something you made five years ago and you're like i'm better than i was five years ago you know that kind of thing ai art takes that out of the equation it 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 takes the whole history of human art and smash cuts it. It's smash. I mean, uh, mash, uh, photo bashes it. Right. And so yeah. a person, a person with a creative mind can make some cool looking AI art through like feeding it word prompts. Right. And then honing the word prompts. And that might, they could spend mm-hmm. hours refining the AI art, the AI generation. But they didn't spend a lifetime um, getting physically, mentally sharp uh, on making something uh, with your hands. And so to me, AI art will never have value because it never reflects the human struggle. When I, resp- when I look at another mm. artist, when I look at an ar- another artist that I admire, I'm seeing a reflection of myself. It's almost like narcissistic. It's like I'm seeing what someone else's hard work could mean for me if I tried really hard, right? Yeah. So it's like mm-hmm. watching um, someone like David Goggins or something like that being like, oh, this guy lost 200 pounds. He runs ultra marathons and he, he, he's like an example of high human achievement and aspiration, even though he's a psycho or whatever, you know. Like you look at David Goggins, yeah. you know, you Ex look at Navy someone, SEAL. right. You look at someone, yeah. Someone who was afraid to swim, who became a Navy SEAL, like, so, you know, something yeah. like that, where I'm like, yeah. damn, that guy's badass. Um, um, same thing. I look at someone like Mobius or, you know, someone like that, where I'm like, oh, the high level, this high level skill, this like lifetime, this lifetime of, uh, uh, dedication to his craft and his artistry, right? Then someone can just type Mobius in a fucking Dolly thing and uh, make, and then be like, look what I made. And I'm like, go fuck yourself, dude. You know? So, uh, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, 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 um, not, okay. That's one, that's one perspective. But then also I think yeah. that, um, your knee jerk reaction. That's my knee-jerk reaction. So, in reality, uh, AI art is going to probably, I think, replace replace us. I think in you know in 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 some aspects, especially in the viz dev department. I think, and people are going to be AI gen AI art generating stuff. Um, and then painting over it and all, all this kind of thing, it's going to become involved, heavily involved in the art or art iteration work, workplace, yeah. especially production stuff. So, um, in the end, like to me, and I know people who riff on, uh, um, I've had people who I respect as artists, like lecture me about their positive views about AI art and stuff like that. 
And uh, I'm like, that's fine. So my, my, where I'm at now is I'm like, if you like it and you find it to be a fun tool to use, good for you. Like, like, um, I don't hold anything against you. It's, it's, it's a new technology. It's here. It, we can't turn the dial back on time. It, it happened and it's, it's happening. I personally, um, don't feel a need to use it. I'd rather, I'd rather spend 10 times more time on my drawing and know that I'm doing the thing I've been doing my whole life, trying to get better at this thing rather than, um, rather than, uh, um, just be like, type in all my favorite artists and pump, pump, you know, whatever. Um, that said, there are like, so it gets tricky because there are things I use, um, that are, you know, especially over the past couple of years since working, starting to work digitally, uh, in Photoshop or whatever, like I use the symmetry tool. I don't know. Does that qualify as AI? You know, <laughs> well, I remember when like Photoshop came out, I was like, that's fucking bullshit. Like if you use a computer, like, you know, but like, yeah, because everything was on paper when we were coming up. And then I was like, in college, I was like, fuck that. I'm never using a computer. Like I can remember that me feeling that pushback, you know, in the beginning yeah. of the process. And this feels like the natural kind of, it, you know, the natural uh, progression of those technologies. Yeah, I use um, I use a symmetry tool. I use a clone stamp. I um, I turn up the smoothing on my line to make it smoother. So I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, that's all enhanced software enhanced drawing, you know? So it's not like I'm a pure, yeah, you know, pen on paper. Like, I mean, I've got all my pen on paper stuff over here. Um, so when I do that, that's like the ultimate pure whatever. But I'm not even, you know, I'm not making my own pigments from scratch and stuff. You know, I don't know. So yeah. there's always someone yeah. else. help. There's always someone else helping you, some company helping you. We even if it's like a pencil company um, or like a paint company or whatever to Photoshop to, um, you know, if you're drawing in vector and then you're able to manipulate your lines after you've made them and stuff like that. I mean, uh, the AI yeah. art, there's an argument to, um, you know, people made the argument about drum machines. Um you know, uh, phasing out drummers and stuff. And I think a lot of pop radio is drum machines. Yeah, and how hip-hop is like, hip-hop's not real music. They're just stealing from other people. And like every art form is like, you know, when when the paradigm shifts, it's like the people that that knew what came before it really have a hard time seeing how that's valid, right? And I feel like that's what's happening to a lot of people with that now. Right. So it's, it's not, it's not, it's definitely not a black and white, topic um but in my i think so because it's so unblack and white not so gray area um i've just decided to not have a sort of public opinion about it so much as just my own personal my own personal workflow doesn't really need ai i don't need it like why it doesn't make me happy to it doesn't it doesn't enrich my life and to, for me, it's like what yeah. it's all about. What's enriching my life? So uh, I'd rather I'd rather yeah. draw draw start yeah, drawing it's about something the process, from scratch, not the outcome. Right, 
Right. I'm not really yeah. that into yeah. the outcome. Hey, hold so on much. one sec. Hold yeah. on one sec. I just gotta. I just gotta take a raging piss. Hold on one. Oh sec. yeah, yeah, hold yeah. Hold on one sec. Okay. <laughs> yeah, hold on. Well, I'm off taking this raging piss during the podcast. It's a good time to remind y'all that the web store is absolutely stacked with merch. Um, we've got shirts, we've got hoodies, we've got framed prints, we've got pillows, we've got hats, we've got more stuff than ever before. It's all made on demand from Printful and shipped directly to you. It's super dope. So that is another amazing way to support me and the podcast. So be sure to check it out. GoShrimpGlobal.com. I was literally about to piss. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I think the last two times we podcast, I think the last two times that we podcasted together, I pissed in a bottle. But now we're uh, now we're on camera, so. Upgrade. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, I think that, you know, I think that AI art is super interesting. I actually find it really inspiring. Um, I think it's super weird. It, it looks super dreamlike to me. And mm. I think like, there might be some insights into like human cognition and human creation. And, you know, I think ultimately, I mean, we, you know, we say AI and people think of like this, like robot that's completely separate than us doing something on its own, which it's really not. It's really just another tool. And we're in this like very symbiotic relationship with it. And I don't, I don't think I see it as, as different from, people as maybe some people think it is and, and feel as threatened by it. But it, it almost feels to me like you're like typing into the the collective unconscious and the human subconscious and you're getting these dreamlike images back to you, which I think is mm. kind of interesting. Like if you could just like jump into the ocean of the human, of the collective human mind, like that is what it would look like. So I don't know, there's something really fascinating to me and really interesting to me and really inspiring to me about it. Mm -hmm. um it doesn't bother me as much as other people i think also because like i don't know like you know especially once adventure time hit like my work was out there and i see it like iterated in like other shows and like other artists and like you know like i already see my work iterated a lot of places so i'm not i don't feel like someone's gonna i've never been the type of person that's like someone's gonna steal my shit or like like i don't know like i never really understood when artists were when artists would get mad about that, I always felt like you make art and you put it out there and, and the purpose of it is, well, the purpose of it for me is to have fun at my desk and entertain myself and blow my own mind and, you know, see what weird things I can come up with and see if I can capture them technically and then kind of keep that process going. But, you know, I think you put it out into the world and it has a life of its own and it's meant to be, it's meant to be uh, used to create more art i think that i think that that's what's beautiful about art and i think like i don't know to me there's something cool that a kid could just sit down and like i mean i understand exactly what you're saying about you know we've you know we're like in our 40s and we've like spent like you know, millions of hours like you know at hard at work at our desk like grinding pencils down and all this stuff and so it seems insane that you could just type in a thing but you know again i think like as a tool if you said like 
if you if you were a kid and you were like, when you're a grown up, there's gonna be a machine that you could just <laughs> type your wildest thoughts into, and they will show up as images. I'd be like, fuck yeah, like I'm all in on that. You know, like I think yeah. we, I think we do a weird thing where we fantasize about far off technologies, but then when we arrive, we're like freaked out by them, like in a way yeah. that I don't know we wouldn't have been if we were just dreaming about it as kids. So like I think that plays a part in it too. But I think there's something really fun about a kid just being able to like like probe their imagination and get these like wild images back and like i i in a way i think that it's going to just like the digital art space is opening is gonna is gonna make art accessible to more people i think that ai art is gonna make art more accessible to people in a funny way like a lot of people think it's like killing creativity and killing art but i think it could actually be the opposite and i think that just like any art there's gonna be like bad ai art there's going to be like interesting ai art and then there's going to be like really neat ai art like you can already see it because it's been before the mainstream kind of got tuned into it and had opinions of it it's been in the crypto space for a while you know so we've been in there and we've been seeing it and and you know like i, I think it's yeah i think it's gonna be i think it's something that are is, there is gonna be a it's gonna be a catalyst for like just more art being created in the world and like I think art is like an incredibly undervalued thing and like I, I think that it might be the pendulum swinging back and we might see this explosion. I think even bad art is good. So like I think <laughs> like you know I think that it just may make 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 people more interested in if you think if you remove the tech like like what you feel about the technical aspect of it the idea that people can exercise their imagination and creativity through this tool, I think is yeah. neat because I think a lot of people, especially the older they get, they get less imaginative and less creative. So if this is something that, you know, is an easy, is like a little black hole to like a creative landscape, I think that could be something that turns out to be more positive than people think. Yeah, I could see that people who feel like they couldn't, they couldn't invest the time or energy to getting good at drawing or something like that, but still having this sort of like creative outlet of typing in prompts and, and honing their prompts uh, to make something. I mean, I've seen, I, I, I've seen like Duncan Trussell, for example, was posting a series of like super, cur yeah, yeah. super cursed looking AI art, you know, like sausage yeah. people. And, you know, that stuff yeah. is pretty funny. I've seen some comedians. I've definitely seen some comedians, like, making some funny shit with it. Um, just, like, portraits of themselves, yeah. like, looking really fucked up and stuff. And, um, like, I can see mm -hmm. the value of that as, like, a, sort of like a meme tool. Um, and, um, um, you know, I am, like, and I do think, like, maybe it could increase the conversation around the value of art um if everyone's participating in art uh, making uh it's like a easy tool for people to use i yeah there is something to say for that and i think um i wonder though has has have there been like very successful ai art uh, nft projects because I personally have only seen, it seems like the engagement is kind of low on those projects from what I've seen. Um, and that, that goes to my theory about this idea well, of like yeah. human, human achievement. It's the reason why we like, um, it's the reason why we like Michael Jordan, you know, it's, uh, 
uh, why we look up to sports stars because they're sh- they're showing this high level of like aspirational uh, achievement, and that's why we look up to people like um, you know great musicians, great artists, and stuff, and great great athletes. Um, and yeah, yeah, I don't, I, I, I wonder if if the AI art, if there will be. A, a, some AI entity in the future that becomes like a uh, Banksy, you know, who becomes someone really pop in the popular culture that, that is like a st- art star. Um, I'm sure that's going to happen actually at some point, maybe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I think that's kind of exciting. I don't know. Maybe I'm just yeah. weird, but like, I think there's something exciting about it. And I, and I like the idea that like, you know, it's it's something weird about the nature of things. It's like that it's it's never been easier to create art like 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 the technical process of art with all the digit like forget AI art, but just yeah. all the, you know, getting the iPad and, you know, you can paint with it. You can do watercolors. You can do all this stuff with it. It's yeah. something like it's it's never been, I think, more accessible to get out there and get your art out there and like try to become an artist. I think probably more people are probably like pursuing an art career than ever before in history, I would guess, just yeah. because of how accessible it is. And I think there's something interesting that at the same on the at the same time that it becomes that accessible that like this weird competition element of like of like AI art comes into play and like starts to tip the balance like you know, I don't know. There's something. There's something there. There's something like weird about the way life works and the yin and the yang and like, I don't know. There's something to that that I think is is very interesting. Well, and, I will uh, say, yeah, on I a... agree with you. It's like it's never going back in the tube. Yeah, and I will say, uh, I have a high. I have a certain level of optimism about AI, um, like Chat GPT, uh, the uh, the word generator thing. The um, writing mm-hmm. gener- writing generator uh, as a way of replacing uh, thought pieces and uh, and, uh, and, um, and uh, like uh, gotcha journalism stuff and like all that uh, all that uh, like uh, super frivolous aspect of journalism and covering topics is all yeah, just like going to be clickbait stuff is all going to be replaced by AI is going to be replaced by bots. Mm-hmm. And those people who've like, um, made career out of like, um, uh, diminishing humanity will be out of a job. And, uh, I'm happy for that. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, yeah. that's yeah. a, po- that's a, po- that's a positive, uh, that's a positive take on a uh, AI. I hope that all those people are out of a job in the next uh, yeah. five years. Um, you yeah, won't, the, you yeah, won't the, believe the, what the this, uh, AI stuff. you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, you won't believe what yeah, bikini yeah, yeah, yeah. someone wore to the beach this week or whatever. It's like, <laughs> no one's getting <laughs> yeah, paid yeah, yeah. for that anymore. Good. Yeah. 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 That, that is good. Yeah, no, the, the, and when, when we talk about interesting AI art, some of the projects, some of the people and projects that I've seen it use it in interesting ways is like my buddy Josh Longo, who I went to school at Pratt with. He's an industrial designer and, uh, he has been doing a lot of like visual development iteration through AI, which has been really neat. And it's like really like still reflects his sensibilities. And I'm like, wow, it's so neat to see like his, 
AI. And then um, there's this other dude, uh, I think his name is Tim Malloy. I don't know him personally, but he's an illustrator and I follow him on Instagram. And uh, he's part of the, um, uh, he has an NFT project, but he posts a lot of, um, he posts a lot of, AI art that is that is pretty wild. He's made up like a fictitious like sci-fi sitcom that's been running for like thousands and thousands of seasons and he posts like production stills from the sitcom that are all like AI and it's like and they're just so weird. They're like Jodorowsky influenced and like so strange and like it's just really interesting. And then um there's this other project that I'm a part of called Fringe Drifters. Um, which is uh, by this team that made a movie called Prospect um, with the guy who's the Mandalorian in it. And it's like this indie sci-fi film. Did you ever see the Prospect? No. Yeah, it's a really neat little indie sci-fi film. Um, it's the, I think the Duplass brothers uh, uh, produced it. Uh, they were involved in it. One of the Duplass brothers is in it. And then, yeah, I forget, I'm blanking on the Mandalorian guy's name, but that main character guy, he, he's in it. And it's a really fun little tight sci-fi movie all shot in the Pacific Northwest. And they are doing, much like you are, they're doing their new movie project through the NFT space. And um, they're doing a lot of community brainstorming with uh, AI that's like really neat and really fits the aesthetics of the project. And like they're putting that out on Instagram and, and Twitter and stuff and like promoting the project and like but, but but it's neat. The whole the the whole community in there is like kind of using it to visually develop together and like give input into the project, which is really it's a it's a kind of a neat idea like like crowdsourcing visual development for people that may or may not be like adept at like creating visual language is like, that's wild. Like that's like, yeah. it's, it's like the auto tune of visual art, you know? So it's like, yeah. I don't know. There's to me, it's again, it's like, it's just, it's something I could see how people could feel defensive and like stuff is being stolen from them and all that stuff. But the flip side of that to me is like, yeah, but there's also all this other opportunity to create with it. Like, like I'm like, I haven't even fucked with it yet, but I'm like, man, like what if I just like retired right now and then just like fed all my stuff into AI and then all the new Goshrimp work was just new Goshrimp pieces made by Goshrimp, but only through AI. Like that, yeah. like, that would be so wild, you know, like what yeah. would that look like? What would that be like? Like, you know, I kind of want to, I kind of want to start to experiment with it because it's just, it's just so interesting. It's weird. I, mean, I, was, the, I was actually more anti-technology when I was younger. Now I think I'm more like pro-technology. It's odd. I'm like running in reverse. I mean, it is it is sort of like the Warhol factory kind of idea, right? Um, mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. yeah. I Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it just really depends on what you... I, I think it really comes down to what you're getting out of it personally. Um and if it's if it feels like a valuable experience, because ultimately it really it everything we're doing in our life is like we only have one chance, you know, uh, as far as I know, to enjoy what we're doing. So, you know, that's what that's all that really matters is like, are we are we are we feeling fulfilled by our, our activity? Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's like a thing you just have to keep monitoring. Like, oh, I've been doing this project for this and this. Am I actually like having a good time? Or am I like, you know, not it, it, not that it can't be tough, but like, um, am I feeling re rewarded by what I'm doing personally? Like, is it fulfilling? 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That definitely wouldn't be fulfilling to me. I mean, I love the, the, the drawing process, the process at the desk. I mean, to me, the process is everything. I'm someone that really like revels in my process and like, you know, I mean, there's nothing better than just like doing that, you know, exploring for those breakthroughs and, and, and feeling them out there and chasing it down and like letting go of something good on the page to, cause you know, something great is like waiting. If you just kind of push past that and that the yeah. evolution and the working at the edge of your abilities. I mean, that's, that's what's, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm an incredibly process oriented, uh, much more involved in the process than the, you know, I, th I you know, you can't control the outcome. You can only yeah. control the preparation and the process, you know? So it's like, you know, I think anybody that's too goal oriented can get lost in, you know, in, 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 in a future satisfaction where true happiness lies in the, the quality of your daily life, the quality of your daily pursuits, the quality of, you know, just the moment to moment things that you're doing. I mean, that's why I like live in the woods and like, you know, build my own house and fill it with toys and just do everything fun with my kids. And like, I'm like a total process guy. So, yeah. you know, that, that totally makes sense to me. Too. I was and, saying to yeah, my, if, you know, the, 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 Oh, yeah. I was saying to my uh, girlfriend, maybe, or someone, I was like, um, when we were talking about AI and, re you know, replacing our jobs in the animation industry, and I was saying, like, um, hey, I I'm cool with that. Like, if uh, if there's, like, a 5000 a month UBI, you can go ahead and take my job. That's cool. Universal basic income. <laughs> yeah. If if I get a if I get a five thousand a month UBI, I'm totally down with AI yeah. repla replacing me, and I'll just like draw for fun <laughs> in if, my house. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, maybe that'll be you can sell your like yeah. If there was a way to like yeah, you could be like buy the Jesse Moynihan AI starter kit for <laughs> right. this yeah, price yeah. today, and you can it's call like, like um, Jesse Moynihan like it's like Kyle's <laughs> yeah. Kyle's Photoshop brushes or whatever. I wonder how much yeah, Kyle yeah, Kyle yeah. made with his deal with his deal with Photoshop. I wonder how much money he made. Right. Yeah, that's true. That, I know he's like that guy, huh? That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm still so basic that I just use the I just use my hand skills with the regular Photoshop <laughs> brush. Still, <laughs> I don't even. Oh, just the regular Photoshop brush. You. Uh, but I am. Yeah. 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 I can send you my brush packs, bro. Fuck <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, nice, 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 nice. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, UBI like it it it's this weird like you know that's the other thing about AI, you know the the people who are futurists like people like Lex Friedman and stuff like that who are super super optimistic about the future of AI and 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 what it means for humanity. I think sometimes they forget that America America at least the United States has gotten more and more we've we get more and more capitalist and uh and those mm -hmm. people that are put out of jobs because of AI are not like <clears throat> when 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 all grocery store jobs are automated when all truck drive truck driving jobs are automated when all art making jobs are autom automated um those people um we still need to work to make money. Like it's the, our system is mm -hmm. still, uh, you put in this amount of hours, you get this amount of money back. 
theoretically, if you're in a union job or whatever, if you're just like punching the clock, that's how it works. So if you can't work, if there's no place to work, you can't make money. So what has to replace work has to be um, like a universal basic income, essentially. And, uh, you know, Yang Gang, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know what. <laughs> Yang I don't, Gang. <laughs> I don't know what the other option yeah, I love, is. I like the idea of universal. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of universal basic income. Well, we can also just sell our babies and our blood to the elite, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that that's too. always, you know, you make more blood. So that'll be, that'll be what we have to do. Yeah. Well, uh, we're almost two hours in here. So uh, I think we can wrap it up. Um, you know, I, I wanted to dive in. We'll have to do it next time. I wanted to dive into. Uh, do a deep dive into the realm of the of the uh, UAPs and aliens and and the phenomenon too, because I've been uh, very much marinating in that. I've been on another extremely deep dive on that stuff lately, and it's there's so much of it buzzing in the in the cultural zeitgeist right now. But we'll have to uh, we'll have to circle back, uh, you know, and and do another episode on that. But uh, well, one yeah, thing I so will for, one thing for one thing yeah, I'd like go, to say go. about that. Chime in about that. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, my, yeah, yeah. cause I'm sitting, I sit at my desk and I work, I work all day long and just mostly listen to YouTube videos while I'm, uh, while I'm working. Yeah. And, uh, the thing that comes up in my algorithm a lot is interviews with, uh, cosmo uh, you know, um, with, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, uh, physicists and stuff. And they, they always talk about, um, the, the uh, um, uh, there's a certain paradox about about human and alien civilizations. The Fermi like, paradox. Yeah, where it's like we maybe have achieved a certain amount of civilization in our life in this certain very small window of time in the universe. Doesn't mean it lines up with some alien civilization um, reaches their peak at a different. Um, million of years, whatever, you know, either before or after, and they may have died. And then they're also combine that with the amount of light years away they are. A lot of these physicists believe that like, we'll never encounter an alien's race. And this is like the, that's the log line they always give. Like we're essentially alone in the universe. Even we're just like out of sync time-wise with other civilizations and distance wise, like light years apart. Uh, many, many light years apart. And they're like, yeah, and there's no evidence of aliens. So, you know, and I'm like, bro, are you watching the news? You know, <laughs> or, so, or have you ever read any like a, a account of like, <laughs> human civilization at any point in time yeah. where they're interacting with like unknown entities? And, yeah. So this is yeah. the thing that any, that, bit, any, that any, any form of religion, any creation story. You know, yeah. <laughs> so that's the that's my paradox. That's like the thing that like I can't put yeah. those two things. I'm like. These like high academic scientists like refuse to acknowledge any any evidence of alien visitation or alien technology. Like, meanwhile, every Air Force pilot is like, "Yeah, I've seen a UFO." Like, you know. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, and they're like, "Yeah, "Yeah, we just there's no evidence." Nuts and bolts. 
yeah, 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 yeah. Because they're it's, looking for like a, they're looking for a nuts and bolts, flesh and blood like entity to come and like be in, you know, to. And even if they saw like, that, even if know, they saw that, they'd be like, "Oh, it was a trick of the light <laughs> yeah. or something." Like they would, they would find a way to <laughs> yeah, like not yeah. believe it. I mean, there's these maddening interviews with like Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about that stuff, where I'm just like, "I know, bro, I, I don't know, know I don't know." know. Even I, Elon too. It's like he's like, yeah. And yeah, and I get it. Sauce, I get man. that a lot of that information is coming through like Tom DeLong or whatever, and that can might be a little bit, you know, suspect. <laughs> suspect. But uh, you know, I I think the like the breadth of information that's just exploded in the past. I mean, to me, that's extremely exciting. I I mean, I've been waiting for the alien. I've been like praying yeah. for aliens for my entire life. I just, and, you know, reading communion and all that kind of stuff. So this is like. Please, like, fucking totally. show yourself. Like, fucking, let's get it on, man. Let's go. It's an amazing time to be into the phenomenon. You know, it's amazing time because yeah. it's really starting to, like, like just, like, the, the, the hands that have been holding it so tight, it's just leaking out. It's like those hands are, like, <laughs> melting and decaying, and, like, their strength is just, like, leaving them, and, like, the phenomenon is just, like, glowing and, like, bursting and oozing out. <laughs> it's incredible. I, 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 I hope in my lifetime, like, I hope before I'm dead, um, we're going to have, like, a White House lawn, you know, shaking hands with aliens yeah know. who who came up with that idea of the white house lawn that's that's <laughs> like uh that's like this weird metric that everybody has but ironically there was like the there was like a whole ufo encounter at the white house in the 40s right that was like oh, in the yeah. newspaper and all that like it basically happened but then they're like well no it was just uh some atmospheric <laughs> you know and it's like that's not even good enough you know because like they didn't technically land they were just flying right. all around it but they scrambled jets and like they had this whole thing and then they're like no nah, we were just confused it was just a weather inversion <laughs> yeah and then there's the head of the like the ex-head of the israeli uh military or whatever who's talking about like bases on this other side of the moon and stuff like that and you know all that kind of shit yes i mean yes yes no i'm yeah. super into that i'm super into i think more probable than not bases on the moon more probable than not uh, alien DNA in humans, uh, more probable than not, uh, aliens were here before us, have always been here, still are here under the surface, under the water. You know, it's like, I think like, you know, I, I like to, I like to draw like as few conclusions as I can. Cause I think like when you wall in, you start to miss stuff, but I like the idea of thinking more probable than not. And about it like that, I think that's a better way to kind of like, because when I, when I start to ask people questions about more probable than not, most people will really start to, like, agree that it is much more probable than they would than they would say yes or no to, which I think is really... I think the only people that don't, like, are, are, are on the skeptical side of alien uh, presence are these, like, high-profile academics, like, because they're just afraid for their jobs or something. Yeah. Every, everyone else you talk to is like, yeah, it seems like something is going on like i don't well, know like the original getting canceled it's like if you yeah. talked about aliens that was the original getting canceled if you're a serious person they're like this guy's like <laughs> this guy belongs in a nut house <laughs> yeah 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 i mean i don't i don't see i mean if you look at it look i mean i don't know what it is like you know it might not be off-world aliens it could be oh there's a whole host of explanations 
possible explanations of what's been going on. But I think to deny um, the expertise of these, like uh, a lot of these witnesses, these like especially Air Force pilots and stuff, uh, and just be being like, you were looking at your uh, radar wrong or whatever. It's like this dude. Yeah, yeah is yeah. trained on this radar he's been <laughs> that's what he You're does like, why is that guy flying the plane then <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 i mean that is his job he's like yeah. supposed to know how to read a radar you know and how to interpret the information and stuff yeah. like that yeah and then also the accounts of them looking out their yeah. window and physically seeing like black cubes inside balls whatever is going on yeah, the Ryan you know. Grave stuff is like yeah. totally insane. That stuff blew my mind. All the East Coast orbs and all that stuff is like fuck, man. So yeah, and all these dudes are just going out, going on like missions just to go check on that stuff on the orbs. Like they're all these pilots are just seeing, Navy yeah. pilots are just seeing orbs in the sky, and they're out there all day long, every day. Yeah, it's like, yeah. dude, yeah. nobody. That's not Russian. That's not a drone, dude. It's not a Russian drone. It's like uh yeah <laughs> it's something else i don't know what it is <laughs> i don't know what it is but it, yeah. it really seems like it's beyond human technology it's beyond anything that we're you know and there's too many people open being open about it now um so it, well, it not really to mention i mean i think the most compelling evidence is that is that like the the you know you go back to the beginning of recorded human history and they're there and it's the it's yeah. it's a similar description right it's like every you know every culture has these stories and experiences so it's hard to say that it's just advanced technology that is being yeah. developed now if it was around you know 10,000 years ago <laughs> at the dawn of human you know consciousness and stuff and start to get very 2001y very quick yeah i mean um i just hope yeah, I, I it would be nice if that mystery wasn't lingering in my mind on my deathbed. It would be it would be really cool to like have really official contact uh instead of just rumors and and that kind of thing. Yeah. But it seems like all that kind of stuff has accelerated yeah. big time in the past you know, 5 years. Just like the acceleration of that information um coming up from the yeah. un, you know the underground back in the day when it was just bill cooper or whatever um which was exciting yeah. the x-files era and now uh i know dude that well that got us all started those friday nights with the <laughs> x-files that's that, that planted the seed of everything that's coming out now right is because i think about that it's the it's the older generations dying off it's the newer generations that like you know don't want to just push it to the back of their mind that want to that that are very interested in this that want to engage with it you know i've been thinking a lot lately about you know the idea of a lot of encounters with the with the phenomenon is is that you know they have a certain the, these entities or whatever you want to think of them have of of them as have a have a a sway and a power over the human mind you know you hear them communicating in your mind a lot of times you can be in some sort of trance state and and under their control and i really truly wonder if there's like a blanket spell or whatever you want to think about it of you know over everyone on the planet to really just like not think too hard about this because yeah like the the more further back you go like there's always been like 
trained observers, credible witnesses, you know, military personnel, police personnel, um, you know, researchers. There's always been people that have been incredibly credible with very credible stories about this stuff, yet it never really like people never really want to turn and fully face into it as a group yeah. and like i really wonder if we're all if if most people are just being compelled to like laugh it off and not think about it i mean i know there's like official policies of the air force to like debunk things and all this stuff but like you know really i wonder if we are being compelled to mm. as a whole kind of like dismiss the phenomenon because that would be an incredibly advantageous situation and if they have that ability you know i don't think it's one group or one, i think it's kind of an all of the above situation but you know i think that certain interests could definitely i think that we're we're most likely being manipulated in some form or another just like we manipulate our environment and our animals and our food sources and all this stuff and if you're willing to acknowledge that there's something above us and they're interacting with us and they have some sort of relationship with us that it's not a big leap to think that they're doing all those same things to us. And, you know, yeah. if they have I, us I, under some kind of spell my, to just kind of not look yeah. in the right direction. I think my theory about that is just, it's just uncomfortable. So I think it's a self done. I don't even think it's like a external manipulation. It's almost like an internal, like it's a, there's a comfort in a consensus reality. You know, consensus reality is the term that gets thrown around. Yeah. But like it's the same thing like where when you encounter something that's beyond your understanding of reality, it's really shocking and can drive you to madness. So I think it's a, almost a self-protection thing. It's the same thing where um, encountering uh, like ghosts and stuff like that. I've had those experiences where I've encountered ghosts and it's probably some of the most frightening. Totally frightening experiences I've ever had and other people I know who've had ghost experiences it's just like you kind of have the experience and you just try to find ways to rationalize it away because it's too uncomfortable mm -hmm. like knowing um that there's this unexplained world and when you come into contact with it it's like uh it's um you you almost like coming to contact with madness or something so um yeah I can yeah. see why it it, it 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 there's a fine line between those sorts of encounters and like schizophrenia and stuff you know so that's why i think there is like that venn diagram overlap with people who've had abduction experiences and people who have had like mental breakdowns and all that kind of stuff um yeah so i think it's a it's probably yeah. like a psychological unconscious protect protective measure that your brain does to like avoid those topics or feel yeah, uncomfortable people don't like pieces that don't fit yeah yeah people don't I, like people don't like pieces that don't fit into their puzzle right like yeah. where everybody is willing to discount evidence that doesn't fit their view of the world right people do it all yeah. the time with like believing in religions or not believing in religions or believing yeah, yeah. in this set of political ideas and not this set of political ideas like people are very willing to like compartmentalize like grab onto a set of answers super convergent thinking grab on to a set of answers and just like this is my core and like really no matter what evidence comes up i'm still going to default to this core yeah it's a it's a it's a way of protecting yourself uh and like feeling like yeah. the world isn't complete chaos 
and uh, feeling ground, like being able to feel grounded. And I, I under, totally understand that impulse. I mean, like I, I take myself, I personally take myself to the edge all the, like I'm always like my life is the cycle of going right up to the edge <laughs> and like poking it with a yeah. hot poker and then yeah. like backing off and being like, oh, I need to stop thinking yeah. about I need to stop thinking about aliens and ghosts for a while because it's I'm, I might like go crazy, <laughs> you know, and then I'll and like conspiracy yeah, theories yeah, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So I just like back off. I'll just only talk about the weather for a while, you know, because I'll be like, I need to ground yeah. myself in reality, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I've always been that way. Yeah, like, I think as creators, yeah. we're geared towards that. Yeah. Yeah, you want to take your imagination as yeah, far as, as it creators, can go. We're ge- we're geared towards like, yeah, walking right up to the like to the limit and going like, well, what's beyond that limit, right? Like that's what yeah. you need to create. You're like, okay, well, this is what's already here. Now let me walk to the edge of what's already here and look out to see what's beyond that, right? It makes yeah. sense that like we're the people that are like very geared towards looking in that direction yeah and there's there's lots of old you know um uh texts of people who've gone past the edge you know and warn you against going you have to you have to you have to really have a confident steely uh constitution to able to be able to go beyond that edge it's not i think it's not for everybody and i i wonder sometimes if it's uh, not for me either, because I've definitely gone, I've gone beyond the edge a couple times and it's like, so it, it was hard to, uh, come back, you know? So like, uh, yeah, I, 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 the human mind is like sort of limited in some, in, in, in it's like elasticity, I think, uh, sometimes depending on what kind of person you are. I know, I know some people who just like fucking are always pushing be on the edge and they're fine and they love it and they love to be terrified and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, <laughs> and other people just want to chill and, and yeah. you know, not do that. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's where yeah. that comes from. Well, fantastic. I knew that would be, I knew that would be a very fertile uh, topic and we'll, we'll, we'll circle back because there's a lot to cover there and there's a lot of specific stuff that I'd love to, you know, get your opinion on. And I know you have a lot of, I know, I know we're both, uh, like-minded in that way. So it'll be a, it'll be a fun, uh, it'll be a fun combo, but, but I really wanted to tackle Jesus too. I really wanted to kind of start to crack open the, the crypto stuff and, 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 and touch on that AI stuff. So, uh, so this was really great. Yeah. It was great talking to you, man. Let's, uh, uh, I'll see yeah. you and I'll see you in the, in, in the Twitter world. <laughs> that's right all right <laughs> yeah. sweet well we'll say goodbye to the listeners and uh and 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 we'll 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 talk again soon all right man talk to you later now that is what i call a real fucking juicy treat you know what i'm saying getting up here getting back into the podcast chopping it up with the homies it doesn't get any better than this i hope everybody enjoyed that conversation i hope it wasn't too annoying that i was stepping on uh jesse with that delay going and that uh in the video i wasn't uh bobbling my bobblehead too much (laughs) i will get better at it i'll get the hang of it uh but uh big shout out make sure you check out my man jesse moynihan on um instagram on Twitter um, and uh, check out his 
Jesus Two website. Um, I will link all of these in the description. Um, he's got a Patreon as well, and you know that if you love an artist, if their work is important to you, it really makes a big difference to support them, right? For you know a couple bucks or whatever it is a month. You know, like people say, the cost of a goddamn cup of coffee, you could make a difference by supporting artists you love. So get up on that Patreon. Uh, get up on my Patreon, ghostshrimp.com. No, <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Patreon.com slash ghostshrimp. Uh, a lot of different tiers there. We're going to be remixing, revamping a little bit over the coming episodes. Um, but, uh, there's going to be a lot of Patreon exclusive content coming. So if you like what I do and you want to see me do more of it and you want to experience more of it, hit it up, get it up and I will put it up. Um, and, uh, we got the shout outs coming, you know, everybody loves the shout outs and it looks like they've revamped the shout outs on here a little bit. Um, but I will do my best. <laughs> Best to figure it out here. Uh, coming in on that $1 green smoothie level. Shout out to everybody in that $1 tier. It makes a difference for only $1 per episode, right? That is like almost nothing. And it makes a big difference. So big shout out to everybody who throws in, throws the dollar in the pot. And at that $2 juicy beef stew level you get that shout out by name on the pod so let's kick it off with big shout out to jesse uh we got some more we got a gang of beef stew shout outs here we go serve yourself up a juicy bowl of beef stew my homie bark the dog and I'm just looking at the, this is the tab for active users. Um, like I said, uh, I got to kind of re-familiarize with, re-familiarize myself with this process, but we'll figure it out. Uh, get a juicy bowl of beef stew, homie. Mark Osborne. Uh, we got another Ghost Scout homie, Alexi Giroux. Oh shit, another Ghost Scout. None other than Daniel Foothead. Oh shit, Workshop Alumni Zeta. Alumni, alumni of the Classic Workshop and the Magnum Dopus Workshop. Oh shit, that's a marinated steak tip shout out. Fuck, I'm fucking it up already. It used to be all in order, now it's all jacked up. Um, let's see the next beef stew shout out Anthony Scott legendary stop motion animator get yourself a juicy bowl of beef stew Michael Broncado uh, the homie Gerard Jones Oh shit, another Ghost Scout and Workshop alumni, Frogodile Dundee. Another Workshop alumni, the homie Alejandro Fuentes. Hope all is well in your world, homie. Oh shit, Ghost Scout alumni, Workshop alumni, and Vermont brethren. 
Chris Murray. Uh, oh shit, another Ghost Scout alumni. Uh, Adventure Time alumni. Neighbor Kent Osborne. If I yell loud enough, he can hear me because he'll tell us that. He'll be like, yo, I heard you guys working out outside this morning. <laughs> Another workshop alumni classic and just completed the magnum dopus. Jesse Primo. Chilling on Staten Island. Stacking on Staten. Uh, another juicy bowl of beef stew to Devin Newman. Oh shit, get yourself a hearty serving of beef stew. Chris Burke. Oh shit, my man P. Wolf. I love people having fun with the names here. Another workshop alumni. Get yourself a bowl of beef stew. Sam Bag. Hope you're doing good, homie. Uh, all right. Ghost Scout alumni or Ghost Scout Seth Bird, a.k.a. my man Butterflesh. Oh shit, all the way out in Armenia, extra large servings of beef stew to my girl, Shamaram. Uh, another bowl of beef stew to Matt Bollinger. And if I'm pronouncing everybody, any, anybody and everybody's name wrong, let me know. Oh shit, another workshop alumni. None other than the infamous Shell Durkin. Uh, oh my god, another workshop alumni. Craig Bowers. You still out in Japan, homie? Holla. Um... We got another workshop alumni, Lou Funke. Uh, a huge bowl of beef stew headed out to yet another workshop alumni, Olivia Richardson. Can you believe these people have taken an entire workshop with me and they still want to hear me talk? That's incredible. Oh shit, out there in New Zealand, my man, workshop alumni, Karma Void, who recently broke out of job jail and got his first animation background job on Koala Man. Amazing job, homie. You did it. You manifested your destiny. You are creating your own reality. You know what I'm talking about. And we got another $2 Juicy Beef Stew shout out to ba oh wait, what is it? Baby Hag. Wait, let me try that again. Baby Hag. 
I love that. All right. Let's see. Uh, kicking off the marinated steak tip shout outs. None other than, I think this is a new subscriber. Shout out to 89 Benjamin. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for supporting. Um, scrolling back down here, we got, oh shit, my man with that marinated steak chip shout out, Mullet Man, destroyer of the Classic Workshop and the Magnum Dopus Workshop, absolute MVP. Um, big shout out, marinated steak tip shout out to my girl, Kayla Dakota. Workshop alumni, classic and magnum dopus as well. My God, all these people, so fun to just say their names. Um, is that it for the marinated steak tip shout outs? I believe it is. And we've got, let's see, we've got some. Uh, we've got that six, 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 that's six dollar and sixty six cent. Uh, Satan's marinated tube steak, the spiciest tube steak around. This is the most exclusive tier of shout out at this point. And this is going out to Ghost Scout Camp Champ Crognack, aka Beard Lips, aka the homie John. Man's field. Hell yeah. Let's go. And uh, I think that is it for these. Oh, no, one more. We got another $6.66 per podcast. Satan's marinated tube steak shout out. Going out to another workshop alumni. My girl. Ellipsis. Damn, I feel like I'm on a fucking water slide of beef stew right now. All right, there we go. There's the shout outs. I hope everybody enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If you want to hear the next episode, episode 84, the deep dive catch up on what's been going on over the last three years in the Goshrimp National Forest with the Bandit family. Um, be sure to subscribe to the Patreon because that shit going to be Patreon exclusive. And if you want to see how stupid I look on video, that's Patreon exclusive as well. So check it, check it, check it, check it out, check it out. And as always... You know, we love to end the pod on a positive note, on a hype note, that you are a creative animal in an infinite universe, and really, truly, you have the power to create your own reality. I know this for a fact because I'm a total fuck-up who did not fit in anywhere until I went and fit in with myself, made best friends with myself, and created the reality that I wanted to live in, stopped listening to other people. Stop following other people, right? And, you know, in this complicated world of human nature that we have to navigate, in this uh, infinite world of mystery that we all 
exist in. I, I, I really want to remind everybody that you have more in common with every human being, with every living life form on this planet than you have in conflict with them, right? So really, truly think about that, embody that. We can go out here and we have the power to shape the human world to shape human reality and that has a tremendous effect on all the things in our sphere so get out there and exercise that think about it don't just go along to get along don't get sucked into the mainstream vortex do not get blinded by the light um you know close your eyes and look inward because that is where all the best personal mythology, um, all the secrets to the universe truly exist, right? So there you go. Another fucking hype-ass episode of the Ghost Shrimp and Friends podcast. Lots more to come. And I don't even remember how we end it, but there you go. Hollow!